My understanding, Harvey, is that, yes, I can. Well, you may have a contract, but as of right now, you're suspended. We have no one-hip wrestlers in our pay-per-views. You're right. You have no one-hip in your pay-per-views. That's why everybody's watching ours. And all you Napoleons back there, you know who I'm talking about. All you guys that can't get on the adult rides because you don't make that height requirement. The only reason you people breathe is because I allow it. Yeah, I'll smash that camera. I'll tell you right now. As long as I got breath in my lungs, I'll fight WCW by myself. Well, we've come to the end of another event. You know, and let me also say this. Dream, you said that Rodman is not a wrestler. And I said, no, you're right, he's not. Yeah. But, oh, my Sting! Sting! Sting is here! Sting from the top! Come on, man! Better up! Play your cards! Do something! Who are you playing for? Boy, do something! Sting! Yes! All right! Go with it! Stay with the bat! Keep that, everybody! Yes! Tell him like it is! Sting is coming! Yes, Talk about the comeback like Luger made. Yeah. Look at this. Everybody thought Sting was a member of the NWO. Don't look like that now. That Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, going back in the time machine to March of 1997 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Three volumes through this month. First time in a while we've not had four. Volume number one takes us to WWF looking at WrestleMania, and Volume number three takes us to ECW on their final step before Barely Legal on pay-per-view. We're here for number two, looking at WCW and Uncensored. I'm being joined first by Wayne. Let's go, Wayne. Good evening. Good evening, Bob. And W. Hi, Bob. Yes, Bob. Uh, basketball player Dennis Rodman is scheduled to be in the main event at Bash of the Beach this year in July. He's going to be in paper at least teaming up with Hollywood Hogan against the Giant and Lex Luger. Rodman, who was a major party on Censored this month, sent up ECW quite a lot of press um, for March. Well, not all that good. The, the Atlanta Constitution actually mistook WCW for the WWF. Um, the slip was almost truth because Rodman was actually negotiating with the, the Federation to help get Goldust over, of all people. Plans initially for him coming in were to be in Goldust Corner at WrestleMania and then teaming up with Goldust at SummerSlam. Well, despite Mysterio jobbing for Prince Ikea, WCW is stopping at nothing in an attempt to get him over. In the National Enquirer this month, WCW planted a story about Mysterio being romantically linked with none other than Jennifer Aniston from the Comedy Friends. The story, entirely untrue, ran under the headline, Friends star Jennifer Aniston flips for incredible hunk, with the subline, and she doesn't care if he's happily married. And talking about marriages, Scott Hall reportedly checked he's selling to rehab at the end of March. But details are otherwise pretty thin in the thin in the ground. There's there's reports that Hall voluntarily checked himself in 
problems apparently stem from a breakdown in his marriage, amongst other things. On TV, at least, Hall's absence has barely been explained, with WCW initially citing travel issues, and then Kevin Nash simply saying he was away taking care of business. In theory, Hall and Nash are due to main event the, the first pay-per-view in next month's Spring Stampede with WCW. It's actually going to be next weekend, and the gets against the Steiners. Nash said on Nitro that if Hall wasn't there, he would take the Steiners on by himself. Well, an angle on the third Nitro, third Nitro, uh, fell so badly that WCW considered killing it by the end of the show before ultimately doing so. Roddy Piper, who has creative control over his stories, orchestrated an angle involving a couple of buddies and, of all people, John Tenter, in an attempt to assemble a team for Uncensored. But the angle, putting the power in the hands of the fans to decide who Piper should pick, went so badly that they ended up booing everyone, including Piper. The next week, Piper ended up aligning himself with the four horsemen as WCW did the angle. With all that being said, the Piper segment outdrew Raw by three rating points. And as Wayne says, Piper on there alongside the the horsemen of Ben Wamit, Michael and Jarrett, he was in the he was in the losing side of the eleven man uh, main event at Uncensored. It was ultimately won by guess who? Hulk Hogan. Um, the bizarre elimination match it was basically a cross between the War Games, the Royal Rumble and the the final four main event for last month's WWF show. Um, Hogan eventually pinned Lex Luger after interference with Dennis Rodman. The main event actually played itself out pretty similarly to World War Three, where the NWO basically outlast everyone, gets to the end, Lex Luger rallies, but ultimately comes up short. The the main focus of the show though was after the, the finish of the match itself. Sting dropped in again for the ceiling before attacking the NWO. Great reaction for the crowd. Compared to the two previous shows, it was actually a becalmed uncensored, with only two matches even featuring stipulations. Dimalenko defeated Eddie Guerrero to win the WCW United States title, and Prince Ayakea retained his TV title against Rey Mysterio. There were also wins for Ultimo Dragon, Glacier, Buff Bagwell, and Harlem Heat defeating the public enemy in a tornado match. And coming a bit out of the ring, Eric Bischoff addressed uh, a couple of stories as part of a chat with Prodigy this month claiming that ECW working with the WWF is the single biggest threat to WCW's existence. Bischoff also, somewhat unnecessarily, apologised for NWO sold out, saying that his goal was to produce a pay-per-view that was unique and cutting edge. He said, quote, I was very disappointed in the event, and if I had to do it again, I'd make significant changes. But he did also say it was a great concept. And Anderson is suffering with a hand injury that's so bad it's possible it could threaten his career. It's said, and Dan basically admitted as much on television, that problems with his hand could be a sign of nerve damage higher up his arm. It's expected he could be out for or roughly around about four months and may have to undergo neck surgery. It's also said that it's a very real possibility that he may never return, leading to Anderson being made as an announcer or even a manager. And talking about realness in WCW, Disco Inferno was fired this month after refusing a programme with Miss Jacqueline. It would eventually see him lose to her on pay-per-view. Eric Bischoff firing him in the spot for, quote, breach of contract. It said that the vast majority of talent were pretty much in support of the, of the Disco Inferno, um, basically feeling that it would just be a career killer if we do go ahead with it. Um, Bischoff then allegedly told Disco that he would never get another job and then $80,000 in his life. Well, there's reportedly a divide between the Kevin Sullivan camp, which includes the Four Horsemen, 
and the Hulk Hogan camp, which includes Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. The original plan was uh, for Uncensored was Benoit winning a match uh, for Piper's team, uh, but obviously Hogan nixed that, stating that the media in attendance were there to see him and Rodman. Eric Bischoff met with UFC fighters Don Fai and Scott Ferrozo, um, with Fry pitching Ferrozo to be hired by WCW, although Bischoff apparently wasn't that impressed. Well done for Wayne for getting Scott Ferrozo's name correct, but Don Fry's wrong. That was uh, in the uh, in, in, in the list of what I put together. I wouldn't have had it that way around. It also bothered you both. That was a but for, for one show standard, that was an incredibly long news segment. Anyway, to finish it off, first a reminder that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can get access to shows before they go on air, like this one. Or if you just want to say thank you for our contributions to your podcast rotation, you can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS on our website or in the podcast description. And on to the ratings for the month with a fantastic batch of ratings for Nitro, starting with a 3.4 to Raw to 1.9 on March the 3rd. That spawned some significant changes that you can hear about in part number one. Up against the first, Raw is War on March the 10th. Nitro did a 3.5 to Raw's 2.3. On March the 17th, with Raw running Brett versus Sid in a title cage match on the week leading up to WrestleMania. Nitro won with a 3.6 to 2.4. On March the 24th, the night after WrestleMania, Raw did a 2.5 up against Nitro's 3.0. And we won't have March 31st until next month, but Nitro was consistently also doing mid-ones for their replays later in the evening. Hi, Eric. Dr. Schiller. Good to see you, sir. We need to talk. We need to talk. Uh, uh, what do we need to talk? Wait a minute. This is the president of Turner Sports. He's your boss. I know this is Dr. Harvey Schiller. This cannot bode well for you. Well, the good doctor's bringing down the house, you think. Just because you have a contract that you have total control of World Championship Wrestling? Well, it's my understanding, according to that agreement, that I'm executive vice president and I run WCW, yeah. You think just because you have a contract, you can file referees anytime you want? Well, yeah. that's a good point. There were extenuating circumstances, Mr. Schiller. Really? Dr. Schiller. Dr. Schiller. You know that. I'm doing the best that I can. You think just because you have a contract, you can break the rules of professional wrestling, that you can take titles away from people at will? What about that? What, what a... Excuse me. My understanding, Harvey, is that, yes, I can. Well, you may have a contract... But as of right now, you're suspended. Oh, no! Bishop got it! Bishop got it! It happened! What do you mean it can't happen? It has happened! Oh, really? Seriously? All kidding aside. Not kidding! This is it. We're not kidding. You have no more financial responsibilities. You can sign no more contracts. But, wait a minute. Let's see a backtrack on this, Bishop. I think we just need to talk a little bit more about this. I don't even want to know that you're answering a telephone. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Oh, you're like taking a credit card. I think you're taking this a little too far. With all due respect, Dr. Schiller, you may be taking this just a little too far. 
come live from WCW's home of Atlanta, Georgia on March the 3rd, starting in the back with the NWO arriving in a brand new stretched personalised Hummer. <clears throat> At their back, President of Turner Sports, Harvey Schiller, arrives as Tony and Larry speculate. Our opening contest is McMichael and Jarrett going up against Conan and Morris. Conan seems to be on Mexican times. He waits at age to hit Bart Morris with a moonsault. But the public enemy distract Jarrett, who inadvertently hits McMichael, and the dungeon win. Post-match, the horseman troubles grumble on. Dallas Page arrives, pointing out some of the plants who tear off NWO shirts to repeal DDP shirts underneath. Page beats Rick Fuller with a diamond cutter out of nowhere. Gene talks a diamond after the match about Randy Savage. Ray Mendoza Jr. and Juventud Guerrera get some decent time. Hoovy winning with a 450 splash. Also an honourable mention to Hoovy's corner dive through the second and third ropes to Mendoza. The Dungeon of Doom take over the desk. Jimmy Hart says they told everyone Benoit and a woman wouldn't make it to Atlanta. Jackie and Sullivan tell us they're too legit to quit. Six and DBRC again plug their $80 denim jacket. A piss-looking Dean Malenko comes out and gets a quick win over Mike Enos. Malenko then takes the mic to talk about his new outlook. Bischoff talks to Mean Gene about Luger's challenge from last week. He says the crowd wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. Schiller questions Bischoff's understanding of his power. Bischoff then gets suspended for his handling of the rules. Our one closes with a criminally short Ultimo Dragon-Eddie Guerrero match with Eddie winning. Dragon was in the ropes for the pinfall, however. Eddie and Malenko square off post-match. Bobby Heenan and a jubilant Mike Tanay weighing on the Bischoff situation. Wall Street arrives to take on Scotty Riggs. Buff Mark Bagwell runs in to beat down on Riggs and causes a disqualification. Riggs gets the chair, but Buff and Wall Street run. Tony tells us that Roddy Piper's just arrived. After commercial, we hear the bagpipes and Piper comes out in a black and white icon shirt. I cower over nothing. He talks about his family in Portland, Oregon, his second family in the crowd, and says he's going to start a third family tonight. Tonight the war begins and he assembles the WCW army. Piper says he'll take on six guys one by one and the the fans will decide who's in. Piper taps the first, the fans boo him out, the second gets put to sleep, two down. Three comes out and gets attacked by a random in underwear and boxing gloves, this is really happening. After trading knockdowns, the crowd look as bemused as the rest of us. This one goes for three or four minutes, but it seems like an age. Piper seems in, the crowd piss on it. Roddy then takes the mic and tries to get them on board and fails. A fourth man comes out, posing as a martial artist. Piper now struggling as boring chants start to bleed through as Piper goes down. After a very awkward looking vertical suplex, Piper calls it off and we have two. Out next is John fucking Tenter, who's apparently here in his guise as a former sumo. The other two take on Tenter, and Piper seems to like the fight of the three and declares, Hogan, you want a war, you've got one. Okay, Roddy. For what it's worth, that whole bit took 20 minutes. Rey Mysterio Jr. beats Mr. JL with a springboard Hurricane Rana. Medusa cuts off, uh, cuts as good a woman's promo as we've seen since Shane Martel and gets attacked by Luna Vachon. The entire NWRI complete with Bischoff and also Sting. Hogan and Bischoff tell Schiller they're in with Turner and shoot down Piper's power plant party. Savage and Nash chip in. Sting stands still and Hogan poses too off to debris. 
In the main event, the Steiners face Giant and Luger, who get billed as champions. It goes surprisingly clean, but out come the NWO, Piper's team and the rest of the locker room, and we go off the air as we get a no contest. There's one problem Hulk Hogan does not have, and that is insomnia. Two times, Hogan, we meet. Two times, you sleep. <laughs> but, I, but I do got to admit, Savage coming in there was a wee bit of a surprise for me. I heard right now more than a piece of roadkill. And I think to myself, I think, you know, they cloned two monkeys. One named Hall, one named Snatch. Everybody thought they were going to fail the NWO. I'll tell you something. I got one family lives on a mountain, Portland, Oregon. I got another family, and that's you folks. All my life you've been raising me. Last time when I was going to the hospital and they were strapping me down, I was rambling and I said, And I'll give you the translation of that. That means we're not home till the battle's over. If you notice, as Hogan walks in the building, hair is rapidly falling out what he's got left. That's because the war is about to begin. Here we go. I am going to make a third family, but I'm not going to contrive a family. I'm not going to contrive a kin. They got six guys back there right now. I must be nuts. You know that time in Alcatraz? All I did was talk to El Capone and get bird poop put on my shoulder. I'm going to take these six guys on one minute time. Oh, like tonight? Who knows? And I will let you decide who's going to be my kin, who's going to be my third family, by either giving it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. You know what Icon stands for? I cower over nothing. Well, I got no more to say. Six guys. I must be an idiot, man. So, there's only one place to start with this show. It's on on March the 3rd on Nitro. So, Rory Piper, who has been, I would argue, by some distance, the most consistent, compelling, and likeable act that we've seen in WCW, certainly since he's arrived, and arguably in the entirety of the run that we've done covering WCW in this show. In terms of consistency, in terms of honesty, in terms of believability, Piper's has been right up there. You start to pick it apart, it it falls apart a bit, but the, the broad strokes are there. Piper comes out on Nitro, and they're leading up to this 
11, well, what was at the time the 12-man main event, and we'll, we'll cover the, the whys and the what falls that later in the show. And 12-man main event, three teams of four people in each, of which Team Piper will be one of them. Roddy Piper has creative control over his own storylines. So Piper decided he'd come out and in an attempt to build his team, in an attempt to get some of his buddies some work, and in an attempt to get some of his buddies in the main event of a pay-per-view and a payday, decided that he would have essentially an open tryout. He said, I've got six guys in the back, I'm going to bring them out one by one. And Piper did the one thing that up until this point has been guaranteed, is that regardless of what Roddy Piper has said, because it has often made no sense, Piper has come out and cut promos and had the crowd in the palm of his hands. And Piper decided that he thought that if if Piper endorsed the guys in the ring, either explicitly or implicitly by, by the in-ring action, Piper decided that he would be able to get those guys over. Dale, walk us through this. Um, up to where you stopped, in theory, there's maybe a bit of plausibility, but I think that's certainly dead in the water. Um, I, I can see the reasons behind it. The main kind of the main kind of detractor for me when it, when the full thing started. I mean, this isn't even getting into the five ten minutes that it took off of TV. Is why would you try to build a faction for the ground up when you've pretty much got factions all over the place when you've got horsemen, you've got dungeons, you've got NWOs and Piper's out and just bringing out no marks I mean, the fact that John Tenter was seen as a name in this I don't, I don't really understand where they thought it could possibly go right and it's it's the risky run of live TV and they've done a pretty decent job in the last kind of, 18 months or so for they've went live but that's, that's just did not work and I mean it's it tells you something when you get to the end of the month when it's basically just null and void the full angle it didn't work from start to finish the, Dale can you tell me the name of either of the guys Piper picked other than Tenter because I, I can't think, I don't think so no I mean the they pretty much just look like if you if you ask a kid in like in preschool about drawing a wrestler what they thought a wrestler looked like it would be them, but there was nothing else. There was no character development. There was no story about who they were and where they came from. It's it's good on paper trying to get some of these power plant guys out and kind of show that show that that's actually worth worth an eye in there to see what they're doing. But that's just that's just did not work and. In a in an age where we're talking about kind of going back maybe four or five years when you're looking at maybe a Saturday night or you're looking at a superstars or things like that, when you're kind of getting name v name matches almost weekly, that I, I don't see in in paper how they could think this is good, and especially given at the amount of time that they did. I mean, I was quite thankful that at the start of it, I think they were talking about five six guys that was going to come out. And luckily, we never got that far into it, but it, it just did not work at all for me. And Del, Piper's the guy that ever since he arrives says, I'm not Team WCW, I'm not no. Team NWO, I, I ride alone. Well, and no. I, know, I know the idea was, well, this is my family, and we're going to hear more about that in a minute. <laughs> but I, I, I just. I, I don't know. I don't know whether it was arrogance on Piper's part or whether he's just lost it. It's possible it was both. Right. But 
I don't know that any segment we've ever watched has missed the mark by so far. And there, there were some that have been, like, look bad going in. Right, you know, the, 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 the thing on Miss NWO a couple of months ago. That looked bad going in and came out bad. But this didn't seem that bad on paper. And then you watch it, it's like... It's like I know Piper's got creative control, but who's signed off on this? There's so many questions. I mean, the biggest two names with creative control, uh, creative control in the place is Piper and Hogan. If you look at what Hogan's got, he's bringing in Macho, he's bringing in the outsiders, he's teaming up with them, he's got the hottest thing going in the world at the minute, and Piper's stuck with us. I mean, as much as I've got issues and qualms over the, the kind of booting, a kind of Hulk Hogan, seemingly where he can do what he wants, and Benoit, I think it's brilliant these days, and as we said in the news, he was he was talking about getting over on an 11-man main event. That's brilliant, but if Hogan that's he's at, I've got issues with that, but at least it goes somewhere, and at least it's on a name. Piper, if he's, I don't know what the percentage is, if we're talking 50, 90, whatever, if whatever he's had involvement in this, I, I think it is just an arrogance and losing it, as you said. It, it's the arrogance of thinking he can pick any Tom, Dick or Charlie half the street and just get them over and at the same time thinking that he was actually in control of us since I think you, you notice near the end when he just grabs the mic and it, you just know that he's actually thought oh, I might have made a bit of a dick of this but it what? was too late Why what do you think of all this? Well like you just said before on paper it you know it didn't look that bad um, you know I was going in thinking we're potentially going to see three guys here that could be built up to something that could have a have a future with WCW and the first two come out and you could tell that they were power plant guys they were just muscle heads the second being far bigger than the first and then you know both of those got the thumb downs and yeah by that point I was it was already starting to uh, to, to win and then the 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 third guy come out and I think he was the the boxer um mm. And by this point, it was yeah, it was it was lost on me. But I can't remember if it was just Dell or you, yourself that just mentioned it before. You know, why not pick some WCW guys? I mean, considering that he picked John Tenter, which I'm guessing has still got some kind of contract uh, with WCW. You know, he's actually picking one of the WCW guys. I, 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 I need to check this. I'm not actually sure he does. I think oh, Tenter's right, okay. I, I, this, I, is I, a, this is a genuine development opportunity for John Tenner. Yeah, <laughs> I, I need to go back and read through the, the, the notes I've got for this month, but I've got a feeling Tenter's back because of this. I can't believe John Tenter's getting a tryout match in 1997, uh, especially with WCW. That's, but, uh, that's, that's I, crazy. I I can't believe John Tenter's getting a pop in 1997. That was how bad the segment was. Tenter was the last guy out, and the crowd popped because they recognised him. That was, <laughs> in 15 minutes, the most charismatic guy in WCW had got the... In many ways, Piper is a miracle worker, right? In 15 minutes, <laughs> he's successfully got a crowd to pop for John Tenter. That's how bad the segment was. I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, like... There was, that's what I mean. This wasn't actually inherently that bad an idea on paper. Piper comes out. Piper, a guy that is almost universally liked, is a guy that stood toe-to-toe, and let's be honest, beat Hulk Hogan on two consecutive pay-per-view matches, and is the world champion in all but name. 
And you could make anyone in this spot if you presented it correctly. I'm not sure you could have made three guys. I don't think that would have made sense. But you could have had Piper mow through five guys and then send the sixth guy out. And it could have been whoever you liked, really. I'm not even sure it would have mattered. You could have made Alex Wright in that spot. You could have made Chris Benoit in that spot. You could have made Eddie Guerrero in that spot. You really could just name your guy. The guy goes out there. Wrestles a really good three-minute segment with Piper. Piper blows up, says, you're my guy. There's number one. And you could have done it for the next couple of weeks if you wanted to ahead of the pay-per-view. Um, we had a one more week, but still. It, it was just such a boneheaded thing. And Dell Piper, like, I, I, I may have misspoken in the news when I said that he was getting booed. But he was, if not, he was... He was being booed by association, if not. And this is this is a guy that's been untouchable since he arrived in WCW. That was the, like this segment caused two things that I would have thought impossible. It got Ronnie Piper booed, and it got John Tenter cheered. That's how <laughs> impressive this was. Um, it's hard to argue. I mean, the benefit that Piper's had recently. I mean, the, the biggest kind of thing that he's done freaking back. I thought was the Alcatraz stuff. I thought it, it shouldn't have worked, but it did. And it was just purely down to the charisma of Piper. This, I think he just, with the kind of making an overly obscene kind of point at John Tenner, it kind of jumped the shark quite quite early. Um, it just, it, it's just kind of exposed him really. For he's had the benefit of pre-production before he never had it. He's had the, the benefit of going up against names he never had it. And as you say, I, I don't think you can really get a better a better summing up of this angle than the fact that it got the shark, it got earthquake, it got avalanche, whatever you want to call it, John Tenner. These days it got him a reaction. And God love him, it must have made his day. But it, it really didn't make mine. And then the, the, the final part of this story, at least for, for this week of Nitro, was we, we talk about a, a split backstage. One thing I believe they were in almost unanimous agreement on was the, the angle that was planned for the end of the show, which was the angle that went out at the end of the show, was a brawl between all three teams. Um, but the, the the reaction backstage was so negative, it was considered and thought of that they should change the final angle of the show and just have the NWO come out and kill Piper's team. <laughs> now, someone nicks that, be it Piper or someone else, but Wayne, I, I don't think that would have been such a bad idea. Oh, no, definitely not. It would have made sense as well to, uh, to obviously get these guys out of the angle and, and the four horsemen come in and, and offer their hand. Um, whichever decision... Uh, sorry, whichever route they would have gone down, uh, it wouldn't have really mattered because I think they made the, the right call, whatever. And it might have got the uh, the NWO over as baby faces. Not that they've resisted that too much. <laughs> that as well, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll roll on to the next part of this story after these TV notes. We start March the 10th, look at Hogan and with Dennis Rodman, and we're live from Club Lavella in Florida for spring break. Firstly, we see the arrival of Roddy Piper and his team. The R-way to the ring leads over a swing pool, which the ring is raised in the middle of. Larry then tells us the floating ring could be at risk of turning tides, thanks to the shipping forecast. Michael and Jarrett start off against high voltage, Mongo winning with a tombstone. Piper's out with his team, who look like the extras from Mel Gibson's Braveheart. This is truly bizarre. Piper says Howard Stern's afraid to have him on his show. 
He slates the WWF for saying he's a one-hip wrestler. They've got no one-hip on their show. The Horsemen arrive. Arn says it's the game for professionals, not amateurs. Flair offers the Horsemen to Piper for uh, Uncensored on Sunday, and he accepts. Prince Ayuka arrives dressed to the occasion in Hawaiian shorts and a flower necklace to defend his TV title against Dave Taylor. The NWR arrive. Scott Hall steals the scene with a line of, We'll go in the back. I know the dishwasher. Add to Bubba last month, Wall Street is downed off camera and we cut to the back with Ayukea winning with a roll-up. Malenko joins the desk on cans as Eddie Guerrero beats Jim Powers. Malenko building Eddie being jealous of him. Mean Gene talks to Eddie afterwards. He says it's Malenko who's changing, not him. Next up, Dallas Page beats Craig Pittman with a diamond cutter. Post-match, Page starts talking to Mean Gene but midway the lights cut and we go to commercial. We get a revised DDP interview for Mysterio Jr. takes on Galaxy, Ray winning with his springboard Hurricane Rana to round off our number one. We get introduced to Johnny Senzio, VJ from MTV, who introduces Miss Nitro, who is an 18-19 year old blonde bikini beauty, certainly seems different from its NWO from Sold Out. Mean Gene actually put his glasses on for this. French Canadians are now teaming up with Greg Valentine and Roblox to face the Steiners, Luger and Giant. Hammer and Luger take us back to the 80s. The Steiners get their snugness in and Giant chokeslams the non-entity of Roblox to win the match. After hints all night, Gene just about manages to confirm the stipulation for Sunday's challenge from Luger. Rick Steiner unsurprisingly nails playing confused after the car crash. Mike Tenay gets his weekly spotlight with Ultimo Dragon defeating Juventus Guerrera. Lionheart Chris Jericho then takes on Scotty Riggs with Mark Bagwell again interfering, this time whipping Riggs with a belt from Buff's Daisy Duke Jenim Shorts. Riggs wins by DQ. Jean talks Medusa again about Luna vs. Sean, not quite as good as last week as she calls herself the first contender to face Hoko Akira. Kevin Sullivan then makes quick work of Hardbody Harrison, Jacqueline getting some brutal shots and slams on the outside. Sullivan takes Hardbody out to the beach and it ends in a double count out. Harrison gets dunked in the pool for his troubles. Sullivan talks after about no excuses come Sunday. We finish with the NWO. Bischoff asks Hogan about Rodman who's now officially NWO. They then present Sting with his colours but he doesn't move. The outsiders say they've got the Steiner's number and Bischoff says he'll see us all uncensored. We're just about squeezing the public enemy as we run into hour number three. Johnny runs down the horseman, Rocco raps and the Heat come out to fight, but we fade to black. Mama told me not to come. I ain't never seen so many pretty women all in one place at one time. Spring break. I've been seeing a little bit of that myself, yes. When I was a kid, spring break meant to me that the last spring of my mattress was gone. That's how I got six kids. Uncensored! Speaking of uncensored, what's in the game plan for this coming Sunday night in Charleston, South Carolina? Wait a second. I tell you what, I got I got a lot to say about some critics here. You know, I've been just getting hammered by critics. Howard Stern, he won't have me on his show because he's afraid, you see. <laughs> Go one-on-one with me. He's been knocking me and saying all kinds of bad things about me trying to give some guys a break. Well, Howard Stern and your private parts, let me tell you something about Howard Stern. Howard Stern is hung like a pimple. <laughs> Uncensored! Wow.
Yeah. Uh, well, I you know? And then let's take a look at the other the other side of this uncensored great pay-per-view we got. We got Dennis Rodman. Hey, Denny, number one, it's a kilt, not a dress, so don't be pinching my buttons. I believe somebody put the arm on him one time for that. Yes. I'll tell you something else. He has tattoo parts on him. Me, I'm in the middle, folks. I got metal parts on me. And I'm sick of the critics. You know the WWF? Huh? You got that right. You know what they said? The WWF says to me over the television, we have no one-hip wrestlers in our pay-per-views. You're right. You have no one-hip in your pay-per-views. That's why everybody's watching ours. And I'll tell you something else, WWF. You're a liar. Uncensored, right? This is uncensored now. Oh, baby. Because when I was in the WWF and I beat the dog out of gold dust, I had one hip. What about that time? Huh? Get away from him. Tired of the critics. I'm going to tell you something. These men here got more guts inside of them. They may not be polished, but they're my family. And I am not a fair-weather friend. I am not somebody that is going to take these people and walk away from them because all the critics are going, nah, 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 nah. You know what, you critics? You ain't done. You couldn't put a damn diaper on if you had to, man. I think we know who you're talking about. This is my family. So part two of this is is the following week. Nitro is in Panama City Beach in Florida. Spring break. A wrestling ring over a swimming pool. It took them 82 minutes to get a guy into the pool, which is ridiculous restraint for a company that put fucking VK Wall Street in its hot angle four months into the angle. Ridiculous restraint. Only one guy in the pool. Incredibly impressive. But in amongst this... Yeah, very unique setting in amongst, uh, you know, a, a crowd that wasn't particularly, you know, wasn't particularly wrestling savvy. About 10 minutes into the show, Piper walks it out with his with his family, his henchmen. They're all wearing kilts, all that kind of thing. Of course they are. And Piper cuts the promo you just heard, this bizarre, listless, he referenced Howard Stern, he said about, you know... They've got, you know, WS said WCW have got no one hip wrestler. Well, we've got one hip wrestler, or whatever he said. I fuck no. <laughs> then he starts referencing Gold Dust, and then he starts saying it's uncensored, and out comes Ric Flair and the Horseman. And <laughs> this wasn't the most nonsensical Flair and Piper segment this month. We got one of those later on. But they kind of go back and forth, and Piper eventually relents and says, okay. I'll have the horseman. I'll team up with the horseman. Um, Del, I, you know, the best of a bad situation, I think, is the best way of describing this. Um, I, I, I must admit, I did actually feel bad for them when they were in the ring, and it's like, listen, you want the horseman? I, I do, kind of, Rick. Can I get the horseman, please? Um, I did feel kind of bad about that, but it's just... It, it kind of just puts a, puts a nail in the coffin of this full thing. I mean, it only lasted a week, but why why go to the effort of getting them all dressed up? 
and getting them all out when clearly I don't think anybody would have would have minded if he just came out and they just did something to try and do away with this full angle. But and more the point, why not in, in, in a in a week where the ring was outside of a swimming pool? Exactly. Why didn't John, John Tenter swim to the ring? Well, you could have had some kind of creative fun with the kind of Jaws music going on in the background, and you just see Tenter coming out the pool. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was tailor made for just getting them all put in the pool. That that would have been your ideal minute for it's like I don't know the horsemen run out or something when they're on their way to the ring. Oi, Piper's team ends up getting put into the put into the swimming pool. We seen what you did last week. We want a bit of this action. You're not taking this glory for us. We are team Piper or whatever. Just do that. It gets the it gets the the kind of the albatross around the neck of this team Piper thing. It gets the horsemen into the main event, which was the the situation to start with after the angle for last week. It gets a pop with the the swimming pool getting used as early on, I, I just think that would have made a lot more sense. Why? The the segment itself, I, I actually enjoyed. I thought the promo from Piper was really, really good. But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the guys coming out um, just to carry on with the with the angle, yeah, it was... It was it was it was it was a difficult one really. I think they did have to carry it through just to just to follow on with with what needed to uh, um, to be done with the horseman. But uh, you know, going the the full hog, I didn't actually mind them in the in the outfit. I thought it was you know we all probably sat back and watched Brave a couple of years ago. So to to watch this uh, this segment just uh, you know made me realise how much of you know how much I enjoyed that film. Um, but yeah, I mean you know that that being said, it's uh, it was. You know, it, it was probably something that needed to be over and done with quite quite sharp and fast. And imagine the state of affairs if you're Roddy Piper and your team is so bad that it is considered an upgrade to acquire Jeff Jarrett and Steve <laughs> Mike. Imagine that. Like, I mean, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of in agreement. Like, this this was Piper back to being normal Piper. This was Piper being nonsensical, silly Piper. And it was, you know, I, that was the thing. Like, that I read comments from Bischoff in the in, in one of the newsletters between the, the, the two shows. And Bischoff spoke about how bad the angle was. Because nobody in WCW was trying to cover this up. But he spoke about how bad the angle was. But also said that ultimately, the, because of the creative control, the decision still stood with Piper. That's the part of the story, is that it was ultimately Piper's call, you know, under a significant amount of influence, that they, they changed things up. Um, but yeah, they went with the only thing they could do in that week which was, we've got to make a change. The horseman story kind of made sense. It more made sense from where they were going. It also meant they kind of had to rush back Chris Benoit a bit, but God knows they needed it. Um, and yeah, just, uh, you know, Dale, has anything happened with those three guys since since the pay-per-view? I can't, I, I'm, I'm starting to recall. I would imagine John Tenner's just wearing up his various glorified multi-million dollar options for the next 12 months. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, I don't think we've seen them since. No. Uh, Piper's moved on to this thing with Flair that we'll get onto later on and all of that. But yeah, just, you know, like a, just a blip in an otherwise unperished, untouched, unblemished was the word I was looking for, unblemished run of Piper in WCW so far. Just this, like, aberration. This one week where it's like, what the fuck? Anyway, they hit the reset button, sort of, and now we move on to the pay-per-view. 
We've actually got no more promise. So, Del, uh, kick us off with the results. Yep, first up, Bob, with the US title match. It was Eddie Guerrero defending against Dean Malenko. Dean Malenko won that, and is now your new US heavyweight champion. The Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono defeated Psychosis. Glacier defeated Morris with James Vanderburg. Buff Bagwell beat Scotty Riggs in a strap match. And the Harlem Heat defeated the Public Enemy in a Texas Tornado match. Semi-main, Prince Ayakea, the TV champ, defeated Rey Mysterio Jr. to retain. And in the main event, Team NWO defeated Team Piper and Team WCW. Team NWO was Hogan, Savage and the Outsiders. And that was against Team Piper, Roddy Piper, Benoit, McMichael and Jarrett. Against WCW, which was Luger, the Giant and Steiner. And as I say, NWO run, riot and win. I think Team NWO, Hogan, Savage, the Outsiders, with Dennis Rodman. With Dennis Rodman and the Outsiders. Should, should also be said. Wayne, what do you think of this show? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, there was probably a couple of matches that I did, but everything else was, uh, um, you know, was, was really, really good in my eyes. You know, we've, we've sat through a few uncensored now, but well, I've sat through the, the last two with, uh, with the good cells and, uh, you know, this has probably been, the, you know, the far the, the best one out of the three. Um, you know, by far really... the most boring. What? Because it was un- uncensored and we didn't really have the stipulations throughout. No, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a disappointingly normal show from that respect. I mean, well, I mean that's the, the, probably the, why I enjoyed it. Well, that, that's all. But the main event of this show probably made just as much sense as the main event from the last uncensored. <laughs> but, but other than that, like, where was the where was the wackiness? Where was the martial arts match? Where was Jim Duggan doing something weird? Like, I think a... you'll find there was a martial arts match. There was a martial ah, arts match, yeah. You are true. You are, you, which, you are is, very... which was far better than the Jim, Jim Duggan um, and main, 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 main match. Bit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I think uh, my, uh, my all joking aside, Dale, what do you think? Um, I'm more on the side of Lisco. To be honest, I think Wayne's got it spot on. There was a to your point, there was obviously a notable kind of decrease in the, the general wackiness whenever it uh, whenever it king of the road matches, whenever it fake concession stands. My my two main kind of worries, I would probably call them, ECW is uh, having a debut pay per view in a couple of weeks' time, and you're going to run uncensored a couple of weeks before it with pretty minimal uncensored acts. That was the first one. The second worry was just, I, I don't know what it is about this show, but it's just got ridiculous main events with multi-man stipulations. And, I mean, they, they, they tried to talk about it in the couple of years building up to it. I, I still don't think anybody truly understood what the rules were in the main event. But can I get into it with the two worries? I was thinking it would be quite poor, but I think that kind of getting in with minimal expectations actually helped me quite enjoy it. So I'm way, I'm way, way and I thought it was definitely the most consistent one they've had in the last couple of years. Yes, it was definitely the best uncensored in the last 36 months. <laughs> um, you know, whatever that is. Um, yeah, no, my, my facetiousness aside, yes, from a, from a raw quality standpoint, this was by a distance the best WCW uncensored show. My kind of gripe with it was it wasn't really uncensored in some ways. It was like uncensored just half arse. Like, you know, I was expecting a bit more wackiness on top of what we got. But I shouldn't really complain. And there is a bit. I mean, the main event does, does say a lot of it for the end. But anyway, 
we will get to it. We're in Charleston, South Carolina. It's Tony, Dusty and Bobby on the call. The stip on the main event is that if Team WCW are left standing, then not only will WCW and NWO have to give back their titles, they are also banned. They will also be banned from WCW for 36 months. Where to begin with that? Well, we won't. So we will begin with Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero for the WCW United States Heavyweight title. Randy Allison is back in WCW, reinstated uh, after the angle with uh, Eric Bischoff and uh, Harvey Schiller that you would have heard clips about earlier. After a strong start from Eddie Dean, it's a shoulder block sending Guerrero to the outside to regroup. The new, more aggressive Malenko stomps repeatedly on Eddie in the corner. Eddie soon returns to favour. Here's the He's a finger pun and a finger shaking and a ten killing him right there. Keep in mind, no disqualification means they do not have to break for the five cap. They can dump their opponents over the top rope. They can use an illegal object on the outside to help win a match if need be. Basically, the only rule is if you pin the man you win or if you get him to submit. Well, disqualification will not turn the title back. There will be none. Now, look at Eddie. Yeah, he turned around. Now, stomping the mud hole. They both got, like, mud hole stomping on the mind, and both of them have commenced to go into the mud hole stomping earlier. And now the mud hole stomping is standing up stomping the mud hole in the other guy brain. Yes, you just heard it from our director of mud holes. Dusty Rhodes. Thanks, Green. Malenko goes for a single leg gra- crab, and we cut backstage to a shot of the outsiders backstage surrounding a down man. It's in third and later confirmed that it's Rick Steiner. Back to the ring, and Malenko has a horrid-looking vertical Boston crowd locked in. Malenko grabs the belt and hits Guerrero with it. The ref was watching, but I'm guessing as it's uncensored, it all counts. Although I'm not sure I can be sure unless Heenan says it's uncensored after everything that happens. Guerrero slams Malenko to the mat with one arm. Eddie starts working the knee of Guerrero. That's probably wrong. Eddie starts working the knee of Malenko. Probably sounds a bit better. We return backstage and they're getting ready to stretch her out. Rick Steiner with a split screen. Eddie and Dean are out on the floor and they both exchange shots into the guardrail. A locks in the figure four. He grabs onto the ropes for leverage. Guerrero hits a big dive off the turnbuckle to the outside. Malenko moves and he lands on the guardrail. Malenko then drops Guerrero onto it. Malenko hits a nice backbreaker. We get a weird exchange of low blows. The announcers finally stop talking about the main event to call the match. Malenko hits a frog splash, but Guerrero pulls up during the cover. A hits a lovely swinging DDT from the turnbuckle, but no cover. He goes for the Texas Cloverleaf. Here comes Six. He steals the US title belt, but Guerrero pulls him on the apron. In the mix, Six ends up throwing the video camera in the ring. Malenko hits Guerrero over the head and then pins him to win the title. Wayne? Well, I thought this was a great start to the uh, to the pay-per-view. Um, you know, I thought it was you know quite interesting that during the match, Eddie was uh, was actually getting booed and, and, and Malenko was, was the crowd favourite. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, I think... Malenko has, has actually been a hit with the crowd over the last couple of months, but uh, the fact that Eddie, that probably around about six months ago, was was the one that was you know the fan favourite that it looked like the company was going to do something with. Maybe we're potentially going to see start of a heel turn. Who knows? But it was quite interesting that Eddie then started to turn within the match and and went with the way that the crowd was going and started to be a bit heelish uh, in there. But look, these two together, you know, we're we're, we're always going to get great chemistry. We've we've seen it before in ECW. Um, you know, do I think that this match was probably as good as what they've had in ECW? Probably not. But you know, it was still still great altogether. You know, one thing. 
I didn't understand during the match though is, you know, Malenko last pay-per-view when he had the match with six, you know, he, he had a real vendetta against six, you know, so when he was actually, um, you know, giving him a beating, when it comes to the pinning, he was pulling him apart on two. I didn't get that with, with this when he did it with Guerrero, so, you know, I don't know whether that's something that Malenko's going to do moving forward, but in this match it didn't add up because, yes, I know that they've had a bit of a fallout due to what happened last uh, last pay-per-view, but I just don't understand why why he did it in this match. But, yeah, look, you know, great start to the pay-per-view and if we're going to get more matches like this, then, you know, it's going to be, you know, a, a real crowd-pleaser. Del? Yeah, can't, can't argue with Wayne there, Bob. Um, I have seen them be in better matches, but as a, as a start to the show, I thought it was really good to... The kind of crowd siding with the with the two of them, as Wayne says, I thought was kind of weird. But the way that Eddie rolled with it, I thought was really good. Um, Malenko's kind of in the last probably about four or six weeks. We spoke about it even last month with this kind of this edgier side of Malenko. I do like that. Um, I thought Eddie kind of played his part. He's just really smooth in the ring. Um, I, I did think the crowd would maybe get a bit more behind them. Where where Di Malenko pulled that frog splash? Where I don't know. I don't think I've ever actually seen Di Malenko up that high in the turnbuckle and then he nail it the way that he did. It kind of gets pigeonholed as just a just a really really good wrestler. But if he's going to be adding things like that into the Arsenal, I can see him. I don't really see this this kind of momentum that he's getting going away anywhere fast because he is a, a technically sounder wrestler as you're going to see. And as I say, things like that getting added in is just going to make him that bit more, that bit more popular. But um, really good, really good start to it. Must admit, the only thing that kind of took away from it for me, I don't get why when you're having backstage shit, this is the kind of match you intersperse it in. I would rather watch this and maybe get the NWO stuff and some stuff later on. But other than that, I thought the two of them did really good. Maybe get it in in a Mortis versus Glacier match, maybe. Maybe. Uh, uh, I, I hope you pray for Gavness for that. <laughs> um, this, if I was sat in the crowd, if I was watching this live, I think I would call this a very, very good match. But I don't think I can, um, because the commentary, as it was kind of throughout most of the evening, the commentary was horrendous. I mean, we, Bobby Heenan was the guy in 94, 95 that we, I think, were quite rightly praising. Um, but Bobby Heenan in the last couple of years, as much as he's still quick to the odd joke, has been phoning it in. Dusty Rhodes is awful as an announcer. <laughs> I mean, he's so bad. And Tony Schiavone, oh, bless him. The, it, the, the weird thing is, right, this is not a bad product. This is not a badly booked product. We have some rants, we have our gripes, etc., etc. Broadly speaking, WCW is not badly booked right now. And they've got two of the best wrestlers in the world. And, and Dusty and Bobby are just phoning it in. Tony's trying, but it's difficult. It's difficult because Tony's in his own little universe. He's got the headset in. All he can really do is keep his eyes on the ring and keep his ears on the two guys either side of him. And so he's trying, but he's failing to, to control them. You combine that with, as Dell, as you said, this quite bizarre choice of match to splice this angle into, because you could have just as easily done it after the match. Just mm -hmm. as easily. And then it's like, oh, and then forgive me if I'm struggling to care, if the announcers don't help me, don't get the match over, and if the 
the way it's presented doesn't present it like a big deal. This, in theory, is WCW's second title. And this, you know, move these fuckers out the opening match, for God's sake. But it's, it's presentation. I feel for the two guys involved. The match was really good. I think Malenko's new attitude is a big improvement. He's still D. Malenko. You know, he's not got the charisma of a Steve Austin or a Roddy Piper. But, like, he's getting over. Like, Malenko and Guerrero hasn't really been booked as face versus heel. Like, this was this was a match that kind of existed in part because Six had been injured. Funny enough, Guerrero got injured during this match as well. But it's like, these guys are working really, really hard, and the announcers aren't doing their job. And it makes it very, very difficult for a viewer to get invested because you just, you, you just switch off. Dusty Rhodes is just going crazy over something insignificant. And Wayne, I, I kind of feel sorry for the talent to a point. Yeah, I mean, it's hard with the commentary team. I get that. Um, it is it is unfair on the talent when when we're sat at home watching it. But I, th- I think we've just got to take the rough with the smooth on this one. Two two three years ago, we were getting matches like this. We were still getting the same commentary team, but we weren't getting matches like this. So I think we've just got to we've just got to take it as what it is now. Well, Dal, I think I'd argue we were getting matches like this two years ago, it's just that the commentary team was Joey Styles. I'd say so, aye. Um, I, I don't think it's... It's certainly not the majority the reason why I didn't like it as much as I did when they were in Philly, but a big part of it is when you get a Joey Styles showing that kind of investment and passion in a match, not a show, I think it just shows the difference between a a wrestling company and a TV company, which I've kind of made my gripes about before, but WCW, Dusty Rhodes, I love the bits, I think he's a brilliant performer, I think he's Mr Charisma, Bobby Heenan, as much as he was a good in-ring, he, he overdone that with being a manager, and there's definitely elements, maybe when it was where I'm on soon, that he's, he's touched on being as good at, at colour comms as he is a manager, but these days, it, it does just seem as if it's a bit of a sideshow. I mean, it's something that you get, I suppose, when you've got got um, got shows like Uncensored, and when we come on to later on, like the the um, the Glacier Morris stuff and things like that. I mean, there is a lot of cartooniness to this. Dusty Rhodes in this show later just loses the plot on comms and just starts pissing his sides laughing. But when you lose a a Joey Styles, and even on his day, I mean, I know no everybody's a fan, but Shivani on his day can be can be pretty decent when you stick him in there with Mike Tanae. It's just hard to kind of get that balance and act right when you've got pretty much Laurel and Hardy or, or two of the March brothers either side of you, and it did definitely take away from the match, and it was definitely a shame. Roddy Piper joins me, Gene Oakland backstage. The Horseman Juniors arrive. Piper basically calls out the stupidity of Mongo, Deborah and Jarrett having their love triangle. Mongo cuts what should be said was a shockingly good promo. Oh, Benoit's back because, uh, yeah, they had had him planned out longer and then they realised they needed him. And so rather than trying to explain it, they just brought him back, which in hindsight I've got no problem with. Uh, up next, it's Psychosis versus the Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Ono. We start with Dragon running the ropes in a series of kicks, sending Psychosis down. Dragon does a handstand on the top rope and then falls into a lovely kick. That was really nice. And they get a weird 20-second sequence as he runs off the turnbuckle then to tackle Psychosis down. Psychosis hits a spin kick off the top, then a suicide dive over the top rope. Psychosis comes over the top again with a slingshot leg drop and basically lands on his other leg. That looked really horrible. He's seen all right, though. 
Dragon hits a handspring back elbow into the guardrail, then an acai moonsault from the top rope to the outside. With the ref distracted, thought he needs to be, Seniono hits a series of spin kicks onto Psychosis. We get a twice count powerbomb rolled through into a near fall by Psychosis. Dragon hits a La Magistral cradle for a near fall. Psychosis hits a Frankenstein off of the top for a near fall. Dragon hits a Tornado DDT from the top, then a double underhook Jones suplex for the three. Del? Very strange placement for me, I think, when you're falling. That's going to match, which on paper's decent, but it's after Eddie and Eddie and Dean. The crowd just didn't seem invested in this at all. Um, I, I must admit, I struggled a bit with it at times. It was good to get... Um, Good to get Mike Tenay out. There was a bit in the middle for I didn't know whether it was a, a legit injury or it just seemed to the match just seemed to stop dead for a couple of minutes. Um but I mean the the match itself did did carry off. I mean psychosis that that boy throws his cell about so I mean I don't know how long he's gonna last at the at the speed that he goes and some of the moves that he does, but I think that as much as the commentary kinda killed a fair bit of the first match for me, it was more the crowd at this point. I think if you'd have seen this with Dragon in Japan or with Psychosis in Mexico, even in America, if you maybe looked at it being at like an ECW kind of arena, like a Philly crowd, I think you would have got a lot more out of this. But for what they've done, kind of similar to the first match, the, the two guys in the ring kind of did their best to kind of battle the, battle the outside influences. But I still thought they did, they did a decent job. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was very, very good. Wayne, I can't for the life of me work out why this wasn't the opening match. In hindsight, well, not in, not even in hindsight, but, you know, before on paper, you, you probably would put this as the first match, but I'm glad it wasn't the first match. Um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a fan of this one. Now, I've seen Ultimate Dragon have, you know, very good matches in WCW so far. I've seen Dean Malenko have exceptional matches in WCW, and I've seen them both have bad matches, and their opponents have been psychosis. So by process of elimination, I'm starting to not be a fan of psychosis. Um, this this match, though, is, is just is one of those, that the problem that they've got. You know, There's no backstory. There's no story throughout the match. To me, this was just another throwaway Nitro match that they've been, that they've been having over the past five, six, seven months. Um, I thought it was slow to start off with. I was quite confused why at one point there was there was probably more sleeper holds than there was actually high-risk moves. Um, but look, you know, it did pick up at the end, but by that time, I wasn't invested. Yeah, I'm sounding like a broken record on this, but, you know, good wrestling just doesn't really cut it anymore. You need a bit more than that. And I say, I think in the open it would have been okay because like flashy shit will get a crowd up when they're warming up. But they just sat through Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero in what I assume was a far better match live than it did came across on television. And then it's just another match with no real consequences and no real build. No, you know, who am I supposed to like? Who am I supposed to hate? I know Ono kind of got involved, so by default the Dragon's kind of the heel. One, um, but yeah, just you know. You'd be careful what you wish for to a point. It could be a lot worse than this. Like, you know, there are there are many, many worse matches to watch on this, and I'll say what I also said before. You'd whack this on the WWF pay per view last month. It would have been the, the second best match on the card by a distance. Um but, you know, this isn't WWF, it is WCW. The bar for these undercard matches is quite high. And unless you can do something unbelievable, you do need a bit of investment going in. 
um, or something. But yeah, it's just a match. I would have ended with it in part because I would have put Malenko and Guerrero far higher up the card. Um, but also because I think that would have helped both matches. It would have given Malenko and Guerrero more context if it was in the semi-main. And then this would have been the opener. It would have just been a, a crowd-pleasing opening match. I think they, they did both matches in service with the, uh, with the way they ordered it. You know something, Gino? These people out here, they know my name. They certainly do. There was some hint from our broadcast colleagues that maybe you might be subbing tonight for an injured Rick Steiner in that big triangle affair. Hey, macho, you hear that? The chat of DDP. I came here for one reason and one reason only. To acknowledge the fact that since getting knocked on my coconut by Savage and him jumping into my zone, that ever since I've asked him to accept the challenge from DDP, he has refused to even acknowledge me. So I'm here tonight to tell you, Savage, I've said it once, I'll say it again, back the camera up. Macho, if you're that much of a savage, snap in to this. Sweet! Yo! Uh-oh. Brother, 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 brother! Wait a minute. He's right up here. This is too close for me. I like this good. We're right in. He is in the house. Hold on, brother. Just want to say something to you. I want to apologize to everybody in this building, to all the zillions of people all around the world. I misjudged you. Brother, you're cool. I got respect for you, brother. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, man. You're the man. Listen to this. Elizabeth and the Macho Man walking through the airport today. And brother, I go by the magazine section uh, and I see Playboy's nude celebrities. Check this out. On the cover is an old girlfriend of mine, Pamela Anderson. We did Baywatch together. You remember that, don't you? And Tommy Lee's cool with that. Cindy Crawford's in here. Jenny McCarthy. Don't even go there, Macho. No, wait a minute. Don't wait even minute. go there. You know, One split second in time, brother. I'm saying you're the man. Of all these young ladies and babes that I have known, I know who you are now. Your wife is the centerfold, brother. That's Kimberly in oh, here. Please, this is not the time or the place for oh, that, Randy oh. Savage. You're Kimberly's husband. That's it. That's what you are. That's what DDP means. That's what Diamond Dallas Page means. Brother, I'm proud of you, brother. That's sweet. That centerfold has man. been defaced. Hey, listen, man. You're the man, brother. You're the man. Up. 
He is going to go out of his I love your friend. He's calling it now, Savage. I like you. There's He's Kimberly. I want to be like you. Uh-oh. He's calling it down. Watch out. Oh, no. Kimberly. Kimberly, look at Look at Kimberly. She's been spray painted. Look at her. Another what attack. Are you so he gets on his page on the hallway with Mean Gene. He calls that Randy Savage, who joins us from the announcer's position. It's kind of elevated to the side of the stage. He's with Liz. Savage said he misjudged Page. Liz has a copy of Playboy. They open up the centerfold, and it's Kimberly Page with the NWO logo covering the otherwise full frontal nudity. Savage then attacks Page. That's Diamond, and Gene says he Pearl harboured him. Which, well, okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, here comes Kimberly Page, who comes out wearing a dress spray painted with the NWO logo on it. In my notes, in all caps, it simply reads, Where is the booty man in all of this? Sarah goes to spray paint NWO on Kimberly's back. Liz stops him and then does it herself. Wayne, um, Kimberly Page is back. I suspect you're quite happy with that. Um, talk to you through this angle. I thought it was a very good angle. Uh, first things first, yes. Very happy <laughs> that she's back. Um, but again, you know, I thought the uh, the, the angle was was well played. Uh, we're now starting to to see Macho Man in you know a, a feud uh, with um, a guy that we've been fully supportive of for for some time now, DDP. So these uh, two go to uh, go together. I think he's only going to be good for for DDP. So I thought it was a well played off angle. Um, the the you know cut promos very well together um, and uh, yeah I thought the delivery was uh, was, was top notch No Did Liz just show a bit of personality? It was, it was like actual character development for Miss Elizabeth um, I thought DDP there's a very strong argument I think that Paige is if he's not the most over guys in the company then he's definitely one of I mean barring maybe a flavour a sting or John Tenter. Well, I for that that kind of three seconds. Oh, we know him. Um, Barnflare and Sting, he, he's definitely the most over guy that's active, I think. Um, if you're going to stick in a, a Kimberly Page in a, in a Playboy magazine, if you're going to stick in a Miss Elizabeth getting a personality and some some genuine character on a wrestling show, I, I, thought, it did, I thought it did more than it should have. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I, I, I said last month that I don't, even necessarily disagree with that viewpoint. Now, I didn't think I needed Randy Savage in the NWO, but this this use of Savage might be the most relevant use of him in eighteen months at least. A really effective angle. Forget my facetiousness regarding Paige and Kimberly as much as it is a, a fairly significant plot hole in that randomly Kimberly Page is now Darnell's Page's wife again. Um, but you know, I can kind of forgive that in, in amongst the, the grander scheme of things. Um, and it was a very, very, it's just a, a very, very well executed angle. Um, you know, Savage and and uh, and Liz are, are on the kind of announcer's position, elevated. Savage is is ragged on Page. Page getting over. Savage is getting booed. Effective angle. We saw some personality from Liz, as you say. Um, yeah, two big thumbs up. We're going to discuss this angle more um, later in the show. But yeah, this was a, this was a very effective segment. And we move on next to Mortis with James Vandenberg versus Glacier in a martial arts match. We have a special guest reader for this, Dell. Over to you. 
Choose your destiny. Flawless victory. Choose your destiny. Flawless victory. My moment has come, Bob. Thank you very much. Um, you were saying earlier on, wrestling and being good wasn't quite enough for your, for your very overzealous eyes. We need something a bit more flashier, so I present to you something slightly more flashier. Um, martial arts match, Morris versus Glacier Morris, as you say, with James Vanderberg. I don't know about you, Bob, but I think James Vanderberg just looks like a very, very evil Todd Gordon. I don't know if that was just me that... Yeah! Like, if Todd Gordon was able to grow a Paul Hayden-style haircut... Mm, if he had, like, an evil twin for some parallel universe, it would be Vanderbilt. Um But we've got um, Glacier, and, Glacier and Morris. We start off with a, a trade-off with some chops and kicks. Glacier gets a slight off her hand before Morris then spits at him. Glacier has a backdrop before Morris gets the, the upper hand. Both of these guys look a good six, six, uh, six and a half feet plus. I'd say maybe two six and two seventy. They're very evenly matched. Glacier goes for the the first pin attempt. Morris kicks it at two, and they both go to the outside. Morris into the guardrail. Glacier over the top with a splash. Glacier then gets a, a standing vertical suplex to the outside, and we get another two before Vandenberg pulls Glacier off the off the Morris. Morris catches Glacier as he chases Vandenberg in the in the ringside area. Get back and charge, and then a fireman's carry for Morris, leading Glacier up the steps and drops him face first onto the, the apron. Morris gets a two count and misses a, a springboard sent on for the middle of the second rope, but he does get an R2 with a rocker dropper. Uh, Morris starts to kick a down Glacier, we get a reverse Irish whip, and Morris' rocker dropper then gets uh, reversed the second time into a power bomb from Glacier. Glacier gets his offence up a bit, Brain starts to compare him to an avalanche. Tony starts building up um, Glacier's cryonic kick as Morris climbs to the top but he gets crossed. Glacier hits a big kick, he gets a long two and then he goes for a, a chop for the top rope but Morris counters into a fisherman. Glacier again goes for his top drop but he misses, sets up for the standing side kick but Morris backs off behind the referee and then hits him with a side kick of his own. Glacier kicks out, they both get into the, both get into the last stages of the match. Glacier gets his cryonic kick and finishes him for the fatality for the Mortal Kombat fans out there. This is pretty much Sub-Zero versus Reptile. Um, we get the the bell and Glacier wins, keeps his undefeated streak, but then after the bell, we get the arrival of an unknown man who easily towers above the boat, and we must be a good 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, he seems to have an alliance with Mortis. The two of them team up against Glacier. Tony tells us that the, the new guy must be another protege of Vanderburg and Glacier is laid out with a, a big choke slam at the end there. Um, obviously going to be 1996's breakout star of, 1996's breakout star of the year, Bob. It's obviously going to be the feud of the year in my eyes at this early stage, but hopefully Glacier manages to keep that undefeated streak running. We, we might not even vote on it this year. Uh, Wayne, <laughs> what do you think of the match? Uh, right, the match, <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't I was looking forward to it, Wayne. No, no, not at all. I mean, look, we, we can say what we want about the characters. You know, we've been quite critical of how, you know, WWF have been quite cartoonish for, for some time. Don't look down into this. We, we, we very much have the opposite size of the fence where I think this is a concern. <laughs> well, look, the, you know, the, the, I wasn't looking forward to this. But I was actually pleasantly surprised 
Yeah, uh, I thought there was some good spots in there. You know, there was you know that that baseball slide spot was uh, you know was was very very good, uh, and I thought it was actually quite nice to to see Glacier you know working a match for once. You know, we've seen him on on television for some time now, and you know they've just been glorified squat, squash matches. So the fact that we're getting to see him work a match has been uh, uh, w- w- was quite nice as well. So you know, going in wasn't looking forward to it, uh, but coming out I was uh, you know I was like I said before pleasantly surprised for the match. No. Loved it. Brilliant. 10 on 10. Um, I, I'm a big fan of I'm never hiding for the fact I like Glacier. Um, I've always liked the entrance where he came out. I like how he's saw him a bit different. And they're going to team him up with guys. This is the guys you want to pair him off against. Will it Morris and the full... Can, I mean, I know Mortal Kombat Games been out for, what, four or five years now. The film he's even a couple of year old. But there's something to that. I mean, when you're getting... If this is the equivalent of getting cartoon kind of monsters, I'd far rather this than a Dungeon of Doom. I, I don't want to see kind of Ed Leslie. I mean, I don't want to see Ed Leslie, period. But I don't want to see him. I don't want to see Ten. I don't want to see them kill guys like like Vader or the Giant or you don't want Kamala coming in for a payday. I thought this was good, man. Even for the even for the start of it, with like the the full Phantom of the Opera kind of music. Vanderberg, the two of them squaring off. The, the only thing I was slightly pissed off about was at the end when the third guy came out and he wasn't dressed in yellow just to take the full Mortal Kombat thing to the limit. I imagine Sting has probably got a bit of a patent on Scorpions in WCW, but apart from that, I thought it was epic. I didn't mind this. Um... What? No, I didn't. Um, my my only real criticism of it was that it was a bit too long. Um, this was a very rehearsed match from what I've been reading. Apparently, they, they'd gone through this match for quite a while beforehand, which was why, you know, the part of the reason we were pleasantly surprised was that they really worked to put together a coherent match for coherent spots. But to me, and, and it, well, the pretty giveaway is listening to Dell. Dell is far more knowledgeable about Mortal Kombat than I am. But from my limited exposure of it, I, I would figure like you, you want a match predominantly based around strikes and kicks and larger than life wild shit, and you want a match between guys that can kick. And I don't think it helped that Sonny Ono seemed to be able to throw better kicks in the previous match than these two guys were able to. <laughs> and I, I think also you, you want this kind of match to be fairly brief. Like, you know, Mortal Kombat, in my mind, so correct me if I'm wrong in a minute, in my mind is a, you know, is a quite a quick thing. And this was, you know, you know I, it, it, in my mind, Mortal Kombat characters shouldn't be selling. That, that's also true. They do when it's a fatality. Uh, if it's, well, that's if, true. If it was a flawless factory, then there would be minimal selling. But um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought they'd done quite good. I, mean, I can see your gripes coming into that, because that's... That's what the setup was, but I mean, to be fair, this was the shortest match in the cup by a good couple of minutes. Well, okay. And you could tell, I mean, even even going through the full match, you can probably even tell with me reading it through if you never watched it, why you wouldn't watch it, I do not know, because this is just glorious to behold. But, if you never seen it, you can even tell the way I read it through, it was very formulaic. You can tell that they've been practising this, whether it's in a a house show circuit or whether it's just backstage or if it's just been getting them kind of both coming through the power plant to get them kind of scrubbed up a bit it was very rehearsed but 
I thought they did pretty decent. The the standing side kicks does get a bit much. There's only kind of so many times you can press down left and up B. But I thought they did pretty good. I, I liked them. I, if anything, I just don't think it went Like, if anything, it was like, if you're going to do the Mortal Kombat thing, do the Mortal Kombat thing. Don't have guys dressed as Mortal Kombat guys wrestling a, a back-and-forth <laughs> eight, nine-minute match, however long it was. Do a Mortal Kombat match. Give us the moonlighting. Give us the over-exaggerated mannerisms. Give us the, the big strikes and the wild reactions and all that kind of thing. Wayne, if it, that would be my biggest criticism. It was, it was Mortal Kombat, but it was, it, it wasn't far enough. Well, yeah, I could, I could probably agree with you there. Um, like I say, you know, we could, we could go the whole hog, the whole hog here, couldn't we? You know, let, let's think. Uh, you know, we've got people trying, someone coming down as uh, Johnny Cage. Um, we could just have a World War Three match with, uh, with just Mortal Kombat characters. Maybe I'm just, you know. Going off on a tangent here, but uh, if you if you're going to set the bar, let's set it high with uh, with something quite zany like this. I'm more about worried that by going the full hog, you want somebody to be decapitated and then for Shang Tsung to come out and suck their toe. But well, right. we could Maybe see not. that go. Well, want, as Bobby Heenan would say, it's uncensored. And if you really want us to run, Bob, we could have a six-month angle here with the mortal realm going up against the scourge outworld. So be very careful what you're hoping for. <laughs> I have I have no idea what you just said. Is, is, is the is the longer to short of it? Go away. Well, I was just going to say last uh, last Halloween advert we had. Uh, uh, oh, why can I not remember the the guy who's dressed as the mummy, but was called something totally. Oh, the Yeti. That was two the years Yeti. ago. That was it. I think. Oh, it was <laughs> right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I think the Yeti yeah. would actually make a very good Goro if you could. Well, that's what I was. Mean, you've just rained on my parade, there, Del. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sorry, <laughs> Well, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah. If if we had someone dressed up in uh, in bandages, then surely we can get someone coming out with six arms. In, in the four year history of the show, I, I have it's the first time I have genuinely no idea what anyone's saying. <laughs> but there we are. So we do get a revisit of the car chase from last month involving the Steiners. I'm, I'm not massively sure why, but uh, we've gone through it with that being like no part of the story, and now it's back. Which How did they manage to get a hold of the prize tape? Surely there was only one copy. Um, but but Eric Bischoff didn't rip it up on live TV, did he? I don't that's think. True. I don't think. So that's uh, that explains that one. We were next to Marcus Buff Bagwell versus Scotty Riggs in a strap match. Riggs attacks Bagwell before the strap even gets attached. Bagwell goes to the top. Riggs pulls him down and crotches him. Riggs hits the superplex, then hits some strap shots. We get a spot where Riggs slides through Bagwell's legs and then pulls the strap into his crotch. Riggs goes for a 10 punch but it gets countered when Bagwell drops in neck first across the top rope. Bagwell leads into the camera, delighted, and says, Did you see how good that was? Bagwell then stands up, leans into the camera again and says, I swear to God, I love myself more than anyone else I can think of. Bagwell snapmares Riggs using the strap. This is the same lull these two went through at Sold Out in January. The match is going too long. Randy Anderson shells Bagwell to the mat after he goes a bit too far. That gets a great reaction from the crowd as Anderson backs Bagwell right into the corner. Riggs rallies to the delight of approximately 5% of the people in attendance. 
Riggs starts the slow drag around all four corners. He gets the three, gets held up, and the count resets. Riggs gets body dropped over the top rope and lands hard on the apron with his back. Bagwell gets the three corners, then sits on the fourth to win it as Riggs will spark out in the middle of the ring. Dell. I'm struggling to think of a gimmick that I hate more than a strap match for like a match stipulation. I thought this was genuinely as good a version as I've seen. I don't know whether it was just kind of Morris and Glacier just got me in a good mood. Might have been. But I genuinely thought this was really, really good. Um, I think this buff... Stick, I think, could really work. I, I never shied away from seeing how much I loved it when uh, when Stun and Steve used to take the piss out of folk, whether it was Steamboat or kind of just these these little kind of comments to the camera. I know you're meant to play to the crowd, but when you're watching a when you're watching a live event with maybe what five ten thousand, you're going to get at these shows on an annual basis monthly. Or if you're talking about getting pay-per-view buy rates where you're getting maybe a couple of hundred thousand folk watching, I would always be more inclined to play to the TV than playing to the crowd. And I think this this gimmick could really work. He just nailed it with the the fourth corner and the, the touch and the turnbuckles with just getting his arse into it. I, I just think he's really good. The only thing, I, I've said it before with these matches, I just worry about Scotty Riggs because if it wasn't for Buff, I just don't see what he would what he would be offering. I thought the bit in the middle, the crowd actually did kind of get behind him. I thought, but as I say, for a for a strap match, I was incredibly incredibly impressed, and it was just nice to see you know the typical or oh, he touched it and then another guy touches it behind his back and they don't notice. That seems to always be the finish, and an actual decisive finish in this. I thought they'd done brilliant. Wayne, as a as a singles act, Scotty Riggs seems dead on arrival, doesn't he? Oh, he's, he's certainly treading water. He's, uh, yeah, he's someone that you're not going to be able to uh, believe, uh, believe in at all. He's, uh, he's not someone that you can get behind. There's just nothing about him. Um, I just think there's been nothing about him since he's, since he's arrived on day one. Yeah, thoughts on the match, Ryan? Yeah, well, the match itself, I thought, was uh, was like Dell says. You know, I thought it was uh, for a strap match. Definitely not the worst strap match I've seen. And, you know, it was it was... You know, quite enjoyable. It was probably given a bit too much time, but uh, but I thought it was good just to showcase um, uh, Buff um, Buff um, Bagwell itself. You know, I thought it was a good blow off win for uh, for Buff Bagwell. But uh, you know, coming into uh, coming coming into the new year, um, I thought DDP was uh, was my new favourite wrestler. But you know, if if Buff carries on the way that he does, I think uh, I think he's definitely going to uh, going to overtake DDP because. Uh, Everything about him, I'm, I'm enjoying the way that he converses with the camera. Um, the corner spot with the ref was was great. Um, I thought, you know, where he was saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and as soon as the ref started to walk away, you know, saying, "I'm not," you know, to the camera. Um, you know, it was a complete character shift for this guy. And and like Dell pointed out before, the fact that he ended the match with his uh, with his backside, I thought was uh, was great. And you know, for someone that was quite bland, uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. I thought, you know, this this complete character shift is uh, is definitely a new persona that I can get behind, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of this guy. Yeah, um, this this was all about Bagwell, um, a bit about Randy Anderson, and, and, and Scotty Riggs is going nowhere unless he has a a complete character change. Scotty Riggs is just like a 
It's like a five out of ten act, like in every way. Which just like you know, five out of ten act never works. Like he's absolutely bad at anything, but he's he's just absolutely memorable or, or anything. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Let's talk about Bagwell. Um, he. You know, this he did something that not many guys do all that much. We, we see Regal do it occasionally to a point, and we see other guys do it. I think if you're on a Saturday night or on a WCW worldwide taping where you're just like, well, nobody's watching anyway, let's stick about. Whereas when you get on paper, you're a lot of the guys are a bit more focused trying to put on a good match. Bagwell was kind of focused on trying to get himself over. And that was the story of the match. The match wasn't particularly good. Um, Dale, I think you said it was one of the best strap matches you've ever seen. That's not a particularly high bar anyway. True. Um, but no, like, you know, the, the match itself wasn't, it's kind of the opposite of the opening match. Like, the match itself wasn't very good. I, well, I don't think it was pretty compelling, even if it, even if it was okay. Um, but I think also there's the thought that in the opening match, if you're in the crowd, you probably enjoyed it much better than you did if you were watching it on TV. I suspect this might have been the other way around. I suspect watching this the other way around, you would have got to have heard what Bagwell was saying. Bagwell got himself over, even if nothing else did. But I'm agreeing with most of what both of you guys said. Um, the, the the finish was good. Bagwell, you know, we talk about your your bog standard strap match that usually ends with one guy taps the turnbuckle, the other guy walks around with him on the fourth one. This was, you know, it, it, I talk about it so many times, but sometimes the, the far better finish is the far more decisive one. And Bagwell just walking around all four corners with rigs just spark out in the middle of the ring. And then he's so cocky, he just sit, stands on the second rope and then sits on the turnbuckle for the fourth. That's really good. That's way better than any other finish they could have come up with. I know Riggs is a bit expendable, but yeah, big fan of all this. We get a black and white, but otherwise ordinary promo from Savage Hall, Nash and Hogan. Just a bit weird. We want next the Harlem Heat, Booker T with Stevie Ray, Booker T and Stevie Ray with Sister Sherry versus the Public Enemy, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge in a Tornado weapons match. We get a brawl straight out of the gate. We quickly cut to a split screen as Grunge has a toilet seat. Sherry hits Rock with a flying pan. Rock gets two cookie sheets and hits Ray over the head with them. He does again with the biggest sheet and the crowd pops. Dusty almost chokes as Grunge hits Booker T over the head with a tash can. He's that excited. We spill to the floor. Rock puts the garbage can on Booker's head and then starts punching him. Sherry starts taking shots at Rock and then ties him up with an electrical cord. Dusty's enjoying this match. We get another cookie sheet in the first pinfall attempt of the match as Rock goes for Ray. Fans actually start chanting tables, tables, tables. Rocco Rock grabs a handbag, at least at what the commentators call it. Uh, he hits Booker T over the head with it. Heenan says, the average woman's handbag weighs about £75. Well, on closer inspection, it looks like some kind of electronic device. But anyway, Booker does the splash off the top, but Grunge breaks it up. We have a table. C Ray is on the table, Grunge on the apron, Rock flims himself onto Grunge, and they both go through the table on top of Ray. Out comes Jeff and Mongo. Mongo hits Rock with a briefcase. Booker T hits the Harlem hangover onto Rock, and that's enough for the win. Del. Stevie Richard is fair bulked up, isn't he? Um, I thought that's, I mean, that's why it's uncensored, which, I mean, we have been crying out for pretty much all, all night. Um... I, I can't help but feel it as kind of lost in isolation, though, for it. So well, this was the only match in the card, but it kind of did play into, the, play into the name of the show. I mean, it was obviously a bit limited with what you would maybe see in, in ECW with the, the public enemy, but for this kind of this kind of show, you do need these matches. I mean, it's definitely better than the old um, the old Nasty Boys ones that you used to get. Um, the biggest thing for me, I mean, I've kind of noticed it 
really over about the last kind of month or so, the public enemy's really getting getting over with this crowd. And it's, it's so good to see it. I mean, I, I do wish, obviously, they would give them a bit more kind of promo time and a bit like the, the vignettes that he used to get in, in Philly when they were outside the arenas and things like that. But, I mean, I would I, I don't know whether you would have any inside knowledge in this, Bob, but see the, the pyro that the public enemy got at the start. I would imagine they probably spent more money on that pyro than they ever probably made in ECW. So, I mean, that's, that's a good sign. Um, Sherry got involved in it as a character. She pretty much has to because that's who she is. The only thing that, that I didn't really like about this was the the McMichael bit. At the end, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Steve McMichael at the best of times, but when you kind of see them shit up their own angles, getting involved in other folks was a bit much. Um, but, I mean, it was a decent a decent match. The right team definitely won. I just didn't like that, that Mongo bit at the end. Why? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about Tornado matches or, or these types of matches that WCW put on, but I don't think I've ever seen a good one. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of them. I don't know whether it's because of the production. I'm glad that they, um, and I'm hoping that they didn't. I'm not sure myself in the foot, but I'm glad they didn't have a, have a split screen for, <laughs> uh, for this one um, because that really does, uh, does annoy me with WCW because you can never keep they, up they with the commentators. They did briefly, commentators. but it didn't last, mercy. Right, good. Well, that's probably why. I, I probably blinked at that time then. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but just not a fan of these type of matches of WCW. Um, and again, you know, you... you, you you know what you're going to get with Public Enemy in, in these type of hardcore matches um, with uh, where anything goes from what you've seen in ECW. So the fact that they're, that they're quite restricted in, in WCW probably uh, probably hurts it a little bit as well. Um, you know, like uh, like Dell said, you know, I wasn't a fan of the uh, of the introduction of uh, of Mongo at the uh, at the end. I just played into storyline a bit, but I just thought it was unnecessary. Um, but one thing I did like is. Um, it's Tony Schiavone paid homage to the uh, to the fake concession stand two years ago, so uh, that did put a smile on my face. Where was my fake concession stand? <laughs> yeah, like you know, I, I kind of said with the Mortis and Glacier thing earlier. Like in many ways, the the struggle with this was that they didn't go far enough. They didn't they didn't push it as far as I felt they perhaps could have done in terms of you know a. Uh, you know, like we see the the walking brawl that you get from Benoit and Sullivan. This was like twenty percent of that. It's like you're going to go for the, the length of time they did, and they probably went too long for the format of match they put laid out. Then give us something a bit more walking brawl into the crowd. Do a bit more than that. I kind of didn't feel they went far enough. It was a brawl in the confines of the ring and the and surrounding area. Um, but it was good. Yeah, I, I I kind of I just it was a good match, but it wasn't that memorable um, and that was probably my biggest point um, yeah if you're going to do this kind of match go a bit further and put a bit more on it I think is more the point like it was just a, a like another another match for the sake of a match like these are a tag team you've got the tag titles on the outsiders but the outsiders were preoccupied and obviously there's, there's a thing that's happened subsequently with Scott Hall which might change all of that but it's like but the, the outsiders holding the tag titles doesn't help because it kind of puts a barrier between them and everyone else in the division because sometimes Hall and Nash are, are doing their own thing, which doesn't help. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd be interested to see a public enemy, enemy outsiders match, let's say that. But yeah, no, I, don't, I agree. I think they are, 
getting behind the public enemy. I think more importantly, the crowd are. Yeah. Um, that's that's no accident. Those those tables chants that the crowd seem to be organically getting into the public enemy because it's not. You know, they're being pushed in the sense that they're being featured promptly and they're being they're, they're winning matches, but they're not being pushed in the sense that it's not like we know much about rock and grunge these days, or much more than we did when they arrived. Not we know a lot about them when they arrived, based on what WCW told us anyway. Mm. And it's like investing them as much as you do in the ring, outside of the ring, and these guys could really get over. Um, I, as it is, it's a bit more of a struggle. Aye, I mean, how many times have I said it when there just seems to be something in the water in Philadelphia for if you stick a tag team out after the show's shot or maybe on like the, a Wednesday or Thursday night, some random time, if you stick them out in the streets, they usually get over, whether it's the enemy, whether it's the gangsters, whether it's the Dudley brothers. There's there's not exactly going to be a gimmick infringement involved in that if WCW do it. They've seen it. They can surely recognise something when it's good. They, they seem to be behind them, as I said, with the pyro at the start, so that there's definitely something where they think, we might have something here. But they could definitely do a bit more, a bit more to help themselves. I mean, I know during an ITRO, you've got to kind of stick in like the the paid-for videos with the NWO, you've got to stick in Gene and his interviews, you've got to plug that fucking hotline. But surely, I mean, once or twice a month isn't it much to ask just to stick them in a 30-40-second video. I mean, leave, leave it to the leave it to the crowds out in arena. Stick them in the back lot somewhere and just tape something. If it doesn't work, play it. It's a video. If if you don't think it's going to do anything, or if you don't think it plays into a story, and you just didn't like the way that the way that Johnny and Rocco spoke, just cut it. It, it doesn't need to be live. You know what I mean? Um, but the the crowd is definitely getting on their on their side. If that's something that can lead to down the line, the the kind of trucks getting behind them. Brilliant, but it, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt them, and I would for one would love to see it. Gene Oakland is backstage with Scott Steiner, Giant, and Lex Luger. Luger is surprisingly coherent. We to move on to what is our semi-main event: uh, Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Prince Ayukaya for the WCW Television Title. Mysterio hits a rolling senton. The crowd are flat. Ayukaya hits a powerbomb by bouncing Mysterio off of the top rope. Ayukaya goes for a crossbody from the guardrail. Mysterio moves, and the whole thing looks a bit shit. Mysterio hits a second rope moonsault for a two. We get boring chance in a Rey Mysterio match. We get boring chance. Mark the date. Ayukaya drops an elbow drop into Mysterio's groin and the ref gives him a warning. We get a double drop kick spot and they both end up kind of scissoring each other with their legs tied together. Mysterio goes for a victory roll for a two. Mysterio hits a twisting moonsault. The bell rings as the time limit expires. I think it was 11.59 of a 15-minute match, is what Dave Meltzer said when the when the time limit expired. I'm not surprised. Prince Iokea, because it got him over so much last month, accepts Mysterio's challenge for more time. The crowd pop a bit for that. Iokea says, it's uncensored. There's got to be a winner, which doesn't really make sense. They restart. Mysterio kicks Iokea in the back of the head, then hits a springboard leg drop for a two. We get more boring chance. Mysterio hits a Frankensteiner. Iokea rolls it through and picks up the win. Wait. Yeah, i got a feel for Rey Mysterio here. He's trying to carry a match, and uh, the fact that the crowd are, uh, <laughs> are chanting boring is uh, is not something he's probably used to. Uh, I've 
got to say that we've just got to get the title off this uh, Rocky Maivia rip off and, and and get it done quickly because this is not working. If anything, it's uh, it's, it's quite a detriment to the, the the guys that are going into these matches. Um, you know, obviously the the, the fact that Rey Mysterio is, is is someone where you're probably on the edge of your seat. You you know you and his matches are full of enjoyment, and you know he's, he's having to work a, a you know match with this guy, and it's just not enjoyable. I mean, there were some spots in there that was that was all right, but it's just one of those where you just can't. <laughs> said the word invested a lot tonight, but you know just can't get invested in in this type of match with with this guy um, as the uh, as as the champion is is not believable. Um, you know, he's it, it was a bit of a not a hokey finish at the end, but he got a kind of a fluke finish, and that's the only way that you can book this guy is is, is at the ultimate underdog. But sometimes when when you're booking an ultimate un, underdog, it's definitely someone that's believable as an ultimate underdog. I think this is just obviously what we can all see is is what they're doing at the uh, up up north with uh, with WWF, and it, it's just not working here. I why they've, you know, it does seem like they just copy the Rocky Maivia storyline. But Rocky Maivia's gotten out in that he's having bad matches with what is ostensibly a bad wrestler in Hunter Helmsley, or it seems to be. Prince IOK is having wrestling matches with possibly the best wrestler on, on earth. Possibly. All right, Mysterio's injured, 60%. He's still better than 98% of people. He showed that in this match. And he has that much, okay, has that much negative equity with the crowd. They are chanting boring in a fucking Rey Mysterio match. How is that possible? I think we've just hit the nail on the head. Is is in a match with uh, Prince Ikea. That's that's the only reason. I think obviously the crowd's smart enough to to to, to know obviously that uh, you know Rey Mysterio is not the not the reason, but it's just obviously he's tainted by the same brush. Dell. I'm I'm going to be a bit kinder to IK. I think what was working against this match here was merely it just followed an actual uncensored match. Um, we spoke about it with Mimilenko and Guerrero at the start. I would, I mean, I seem to do this every month, and I do kind of feel bad about it. But playing about with the lineup, I think this is just a straight swap. Put this on first. For me, would just that just the help that I mean, Mysterio is genuinely innovative. And in 1997, that's a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, the the only other one I can think of off the top of my head is Sabu for, for genuine innovation in a match with some of the the spots that he comes out with. Um, another kind of thing that worked against this was just the the time limit draw. I mean, it, it just didn't shock anybody that that's how it ended up. I mean, if Meltzer's right with his three minutes and a second, they probably did quite a clever thing with doing that because... I must admit, I never even picked up on the boring chance to the overtime. That's when I picked up on. I never heard it during the during the match itself. But um, I, I think that's the main thing that was coming off. It was when you're seeing kind of folk getting battered about with cookie sheets and things like that. It, it's going to it's going to obviously be a bit hard to follow that. But when you're following it with somebody like Prince Ikea, you do kind of make a bit of a rod for your for your own back. Um, the crowd didn't help, but it was definitely far away from being to being perfect. But it was a really decent match. I thought I just there was just too many factors going against it. The placement in the card, the following the the kind of tornado match, the the crowd just not been in there, and then just the the time limit draw. The only other thing that kind of annoyed me a wee bit is when you're talking about an ultimate underdog story with Ikea 
I don't think you're really going to scour the scour the planet. You're not going to see much of a better underdog than than we Mysterio. He's he's just. I mean, he must be about five foot one, five foot two. He, he basically looks like a big child. So I mean, going and going and wear an underdog gimmick against somebody like that, it just doesn't work. The the only other thing for me is I say that the end was should it really be Rey Mysterio that's asking. For more time, that kind of upped me a wee bit when you think about, well, he's the he's the guy that the, the kids can look up to and he's got the underdog story for coming for, coming for the slums and debuting at 15 and he's got a good story there, but I don't think it's really him that can be asking for more time, but the, the crowd for me was the biggest detractor on it. Yeah, um, Ray Mysterio, I mean... Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I interchangeably call him Malenko, Benoit, and to some extent Guerrero the best wrestler on the planet. I think I, you know, I, I almost do that to prove a point because I'm not, I'm not certainly sure who is. But it's like, Rey Mysterio is really, really good. And he was involved in a match that wasn't actually that bad. And yet the crowd disliked IUK so much they were chanting boring. While Mysterio's flying around doing really interesting shit. That's incredible. And yeah, like the... If I'm going to copy something from the WWS, don't copy the worst thing they've got. Like, don't, you know... Don't do that. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, for, the, the, the ending of this story is that apparently it looks like they have kind of given up on IOK and I think they'll... You know, but it's not usual. You know, we're going to talk later in the show about Rey Mysterio being a story planned about Rey Mysterio with Jennifer fucking Aniston. Why is it like, but like, just have Mysterio plow through people. If you want to get the guy over, just have him plow through people and be really fucking impressive. That's how you get him over. You don't need to plant random stories in the National Enquirer, although it helps. And just, just have him win. And don't put him up against guys that are just this like charisma drain that Prince OK seems to be. It's just really, really weird attitude to this whole thing. And yes, amongst other things, they got the order of this card in all out of whack. This shouldn't have been in the semi-main. Anyway, Tony Schiavone says, Spring Stampede next month is a brand new event. Well, I mean, Spring Stampede may still well be the, the best show we have covered in this timeline, but otherwise Tony is correct. Uh, we get a really cool horseman video uh, with them in like a cowboy horseman type setting, which is quite nice. I mean, then get the introduction for the main event. Oh boy. This is fucking complicated. So, it was meant to be 12 men. We confused things by the fact they wrote out Rick Steiner and inexplicably didn't replace him. So it's down to 11. But we'll treat this as three teams of four just so you understand what's going on. We get. The first five minutes of the match begins with one member of each team, basically a three-way match. Then at five minutes, each team sends out a second man. Two minutes. And then at seven minutes, each team sends out another man for two minutes. And then at nine minutes, each team sends out another man to compete. Now, obviously, Team WCW only have three. Now, it's not like War Games in the sense that you can be eliminated at any time. And it is like the, the WWF Final Four match last month in the sense that they said eliminations by pinfall, submission, or by over-the-top rope elimination. Um, on top of all that, we also have the stipulations involved. So, if Team Piper won, then Roddy Piper would get a cage match with Hulk Hogan at a time he's choosing. Or down the road. 
if Team WCW won, then the NWO would have to return all the title belts, which seems a bit a little flat, but still. And the uh, NWO would be banished from WCW for 36 months. Although Michael Buffer did say three years. Fuck knows where they got 36 months from. And if the NWO won, they'd just get free reign of WCW television, do what they like, so no change, essentially. So we move on to the main event. It's Team Piper, Roddy Piper, Steve Mongo, but Michael, Jeff Jarrett and Chris Benoit versus Team WCW of now Scott Steiner, the Giant and Lex Luger versus the NWO, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Dennis Rodman. Out first for each of Benoit, Hall and the Giant. Well, I did not expect them to open with the Giant, but I'll happily scrap the rest of the match and just let these three have a triangle match. Mercifully, that didn't happen. Hall and Benoit stand out at pace. Giant gets his time, takes his time getting to the ring and then levels them both. Hall tries to get a 10 punch on Giant, who just throws him off. Giant taking on both and winning at the moment. Giant hits an enormous choke slam on Benoit. Hall breaks up the pin and opposite Shawai. I don't know what it is. It, I think, well, I know what it is, but Benoit and Giant is the perfect choke slam combination. Benoit goes up and Giant is strong enough to hold him up there. It looks brilliant. Giant charges at Hall in the corner. Hall ducks. Giant falls over the top rope to the floor and is eliminated. Out the first time, it was Jeff Jarrett, Randy Savage and Lex Luger. The ring is filling up as that next is Mongo, Kevin Nash and Scott Steiner. Steiner is the focal point as he hits a double underhook powerbomb on the hall and then a belly-to-belly on Nash. Jarrett gets eliminated by Nash and Mongo eliminated by Hall. The final entry pool is Piper and Hogan. Hogan coming out flanked by Rodman. Steiner is eliminated by Nash. Shockingly, we're going to be left with all four NWO guys against Lex Luger, I suppose. Still, for now at least, there is Piper and Benoit. Sorry, now Hogan comes out, accompanied by Dennis Rodman in a silly hat. Piper and Savage are brawling on the floor. Hogan attempts to escape through the crowd when Piper goes after him. In the ring, we've got all four members of Team NWO, Benoit, Luger and Piper. I can feel World War Three coming on here. Hogan throws Piper through the ropes, uh, to the ropes, sorry. Dennis Rodman does a really bad job of pulling the top ropes down at the right time, but Piper throws himself over the top rope anyway, and they're calling that an elimination. It's Luger and Benoit versus the NWO. Piper is getting triple teamed by Hogan, Savage and Rodman. Hall hits an outside edge on Benoit. Benoit gets eliminated, and my notes simply read, Oh my God, it's Luger against four members of the NWO. Surely not again. Surely not again. Rodman gets involved, big boost for that. Nash sets for a powerbomb, Luger flips him out and then unloads. In all caps, my notes simply read, it's happening again. He racks Savage, who gives up suspiciously quickly. He then throws Nash over the top. He then racks Hall, who gives up. It's Luger versus Hogan. Not again, surely not again. Nash gets on the apron. The ref is now suddenly very, very keen to stop Nash getting in the ring. Savage runs a blind side and sprays something in Luger's eyes. Luger falls. Hogan pins him and wins the match. Dell, it happened again. It happened again. Um, it was ridiculous. I mean, when you came in, it was going to be ridiculous because it's uncensored. It's a main event. Hogan's in it. But this actually built amazingly. I thought... Um, there's bits in it I could pick holes in. The, the, the first thing that got to me was Benoit coming out to Roddy Piper's music. It's possibly one of the most uncomfortable things I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Just what was the point? But there's, there's things like 
I'm, I'm quite easily annoyed. So, like, having an elimination match where you see your opponent pinning somebody else, you break it up. Why? Because it, it makes your life easier if they get eliminated. But the way that they... The way that they made this into just a crescendo, I thought was really, really good. Um, I'm not going to lie, I think Dennis Rodman's possibly the coolest guy on the planet at this moment in time. He's certainly got a few detractors, but I just think I just think he's the man. Um, the the full kind of paper situation leading into it, I'd, I'd had a couple of weeks to kind of get used to it, but it still annoyed me that he's basically there with the the horseman. I don't know what happened about three, four minutes for the end with whoever was on the bell. I don't know if it was somebody that had got to make a wish or something to be the the timekeeper for the night. The, the bell was just working overtime when there was still like four guys left in the ring. But the way that they booked it, considering all the the kind of detracting factors of this, whether it's the rules, whether it's Piper's team, whether it's the the elimination of guys before it starts and turning a 12-man into an 11-man as if a 12-man wasn't confusing enough. The way that they worked through all that and even having Luger at the end doing pretty much the same thing as he done, what, three, four months ago, I just thought they really did. They, they pulled a rabbit out of the hat here. And with the size of Rodman's hat, you can see why. But I thought they did brilliant. What? Yeah, I've got to agree with Dell once again. Um thought the uh that it ended quite well with the uh with uh, going into it you, you probably think it pro- you know <laughs> the stipulations of, of each team and what happens and, and the permutations etc was quite confusing uh, the layout of the match could have been quite confusing um you know I, but at the end I, th- I thought it was quite but you know it was booked quite well um yeah there were some parts in there that was it was hard to keep up but I thought the eliminations were going through at the right time there wasn't too many guys in the ring at one time um but there was just quite a few surprises um you know I thought the giant getting eliminated quite early on was uh, was a bit of a shock um and uh, and uh, and Piper as well you know we've been leading up I would probably say that Piper is the main guy to be going up against Hogan at the moment. They've had a, they had a match last month. Um, you know the the the, the main um, the, the the main feud leading up to this match was was probably Piper getting his team together to go against NWO with you know a WCW team being added in there um, because you needed a WCW team. The fact that it's WCW pay per view, but you know it was Piper's team and, and Piper stands alone. Um, and then you know it was quite anti, it was quite anticlimactic. You know he comes in, he has a little spot with Hogan, and then he jumps out the ring. Um, you know I, I was expecting a bit more from uh, from that, but you know Luger being on fire at the end, yeah, we did see it uh, at World War Three, and it was it was exactly the same. But I didn't mind it, and I think the fact that uh, the crowd. We could look at it one or two ways, really. We could look at it as that it's just a WCW guy going at NWO guys, and that's why the crowd are behind them. Or we could look at it as the fact that five months down the road, the crowd is still heavily hot on on Luger, um, and, and maybe that's something that the uh, the you know the, the the booking team in the back need to look at and, and see whether this is a guy to moving forward. Because I think one of the things you mentioned on on last month's podcast, Bob, was uh, you know. DDP um, is a good guy to, um, to to go after NWO, but he's probably not your leading man. 
you know, obviously we saw what happened at the end, and we'll probably cover that off in a minute. But maybe Luger is one of those guys that you can is is a believable uh, leading man to to go after the NWO. But uh, but yeah, all in all, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I think we've <laughs> we can all agree that we've seen um, um, you know very disastrous uh, main events when it comes to uncensored. You know, we've I'm still not over uh, over over last year's main event, and uh, and still confused with, uh, with with how that works out. But uh, but yeah, I thought this was great, and. and Obviously, an awesome ending to, uh, um, you know, to a better than expected show. Well, it wasn't the ending, but we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, uh, no, I, I made a lot out of the thing with with, with Luger and what happened at World War Three. I mean, in, in some in some ways, I was mitigated by by what's going to follow, um, and in some ways, it, it kind of made a bit more sense here, in that you know, at Hogan and the Benoit thing and. Uh, you know, the, the the thing about Hogan changing the finish. In this case, I'm not inherently sure he was wrong in that Rodman is the big name. Rodman's the name they're building forward. Um, and they should have... Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I drew the comparison with World War Three, but I don't think this was anywhere near as bad. But also just because it kind of made sense here. And it just I just found it really funny that they just ran with exactly the same scenario going out again but yeah like this this whole match was just weird like it was just like you know the stipulations didn't really make sense the the groupings didn't make that much sense well i mean i suppose they did nwo's nwo team wcw was the the kind of you know it's basically luger and giant with the signers i'm not inherently sure why they wrote at rick steiner unless he wasn't fit to compete um and then Team Piper, I suppose, was Team Piper. So yeah, I, I give them that. Yeah, it was fine. Um, you know, I think Robin was the big was the big this match, and the bit where we get down to Luger versus the NWO. Nash kind of beats up Luger for about thirty seconds, and then all five of them, like Rodman and the four NWO guys, just stand at, on the apron so the photographers can get a lot of shots of them all together. So yeah, that's. Uh, that, that there's something there, but yeah, no, I, I draw a lot of comparisons to it, but I, I didn't have a massive problem with this main event. It wasn't quite as crazy as last year. In some ways, it made as little sense, but you know, dare I say, I think the whole thing's saved by what we have here. So Robin spray paints NWO logo onto Luger. Just as the show is closing, fucking Sting drops in from the roof. That looked brilliant. He finally goes out of the NWO with the bat and fucking hell that pop. He hits the reverse DDT on Hall and Nash. Hogan and Rodman advance towards the ring. Sting turns his back to Hogan, then he doesn't. Sting unloads on Hogan and Rodman just stands at ringside as Sting hits the reverse DDT. Dell, holy shit. He's WCW. He's WCW. Um, it was it built into the focus end. Don't hang for me. The the match really kind of done done what it should have. There was that bit of off when ultimately Lex lost again, as he did kind of three four months ago. But then that that entrance for Sting, I said that I think Rodman's the the coolest guy in the planet. I think Sting might just have trumped him with that because. He looks cool. He's got the bar. He's out in the old black. He's got the morning kind of face paint on, but it's just black and white now. There's been the going back and forth for the couple of months. Where is he? Is he WCW? Is he NWO? The way that he just kind of unleashed hell at the end, combined with that that drop through the roof, 
whoever does that, it just looks so good, and they've managed to actually do it in WCW where they can catch something that looks cool. We've seen it in Chicago, what was it, January, maybe back end of last year when we've seen it the first time, but they've really nailed that, and as you say, the reaction, I mean, I've moaned about the crowd all night, but fair play to them, they really, they really played their part. And that, and I just thought it, it just capped off what I thought could have been an absolute shit storm. I mean, event they managed to play it somehow with the match, and then that as a close, I've just nailed it. It was really, really solid end. One. Oh yeah, this was absolute fire. Yeah, everything about it was brilliant. Um, yeah, sorry, I was uh, I was quite premature before. We we're saying it was uh, awesome, and then this is what I was on about. Sorry, this was just absolutely fantastic. But if there was I don't want to be too negative. I'm sorry, I don't want to be negative at all. But um, just because I've got my booking head on, if they change the stipulation of what happened if WCW won, where the NWO couldn't wrestle for three years, 36 months, uh, am I, is it, is it, was it three years that, they, that they're not allowed to wrestle for? Well, no, it was explicitly 36 months. Right, sorry. Um, so uh, the uh, you know if if they change that stipulation, the fact that Rick Stein is taken out, and you know there's something along the line with the commentators to say, you know we're being told that someone could be added because they were building that up. They were saying who's going to take his place, and I actually thought that Sting would have come out to to take the place, but the fact that he didn't, and and there was nobody there, if that if Sting would have come out during where the WCW guy should have made his appearance and he come down on that zip line in the ring, I just, I, you know, I, I think that would have just been off the off the charts um, and, and that probably would have been better. I mean, that being said, it was great. I don't want to take anything away from, from the ending, but if they just did it that way, I, you know, I just think it would have just been so much better. But maybe that's just me with my rose-tinted glasses thinking that I'm a better booker than, than, WC, uh, than Kevin Sullivan. Well, I mean, there is a disconnect between the announcers and what's going on because you're right. The announcers were talking all night, sort of quite rightly. Like, who's good? You know, who can replace Rick Steiner? I mean, the the giveaway was in the the, the promo with Scott, where he says, you know, Scott says, "Oh, Rick will be here by hook or by crook," but it's like, well, he wasn't, and then nobody else filled in in what was supposedly a, you know, you think they'd be queuing around the block to fill in for Rick Steiner in a match where if WCW won, the NWO would have to disappear. But you know. Again, this is more WCW logic holes going back to World War Three of all things. I don't know that you want Sting in the match at this stage in the game, given where they're going. Reports are oh, they want to say Sting and Hogan for December. Good fucking luck with that. They've got Benny. They've got hardly any main events. We don't know what the main event of the, the show's in like six days' time, and we don't know what the main event of the show is going to be because Hogan's not going to be on it. They were talking about it being a four quarters match between Harlem Heat, Luger, and Giant. Which would be a bit of a weird main event. They're also they were also talking about the Steiners versus the Outsiders being the main event, which would kind of make sense. But now Scott Hall's MIA, so you know that there's that. Um, yeah, they don't have a lot of matches right now for Hogan. I don't know that Hogan and Piper three is a brilliant sell at this stage in the game. And it's like, okay, we can go back to Hogan and Luger, but like Luger keeps falling short. You know, Hogan and Giant again, but we've seen that match a lot. But Hogan and Sting is the big match here, like. It, I, you know, you're right, they're, they're going to do Hogan and Rodman and whatever, but, like, it, 
seven, eight months is a long fucking time. Nine months in is a long time. Good luck with that. But yeah, I, I thought this was a great moment. It was the right time to do it. Sting coming in after the match was brilliant. The crowd reaction was great. And as I say, I think it kind of mitigated what happened in the match. This was the bit, you know, this kind of overshadowed the main event. The main event kind of was less important. This was the big takeaway of the match, and really from the show, was the Sting moment. It's the one thing people remember. Um, and so I think from that respect, yeah, two big thumbs up from me. Del, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. It's another time where I kind of went in with low expectations and I think it worked to the betterment of the show. Um, the obvious kind of detractor for it is getting into a show that's uncensored and you get, what, one and a half matches that's uncensored, what, maybe 20, 25 minutes, 23 hours. They, they shit the bed with the full paper situation and had to change it. I've made my point about why it should have been factions, but I genuinely don't think there was what you could actually call a bad match on this. The the way that it built at the end, I thought they did terrific on. It was a million miles better than last year, not just for the main event, but just the show in general. But um, overall, I, I, I genuinely don't have a bad thing saying this. And the fact that I'd done the, the play-by-play on Mortis and, and Glaciers, I would still probably say that's probably the worst match out of this, and I fucking love that. So um, I'm I'm going to go balls to the wall on this. I'll probably get shot down in flames, but I'm getting at a solid eight. I thought it was really, really good. Why? Yeah, same, same as really. So went in with low expectations. Very, very surprised by some of the matches that I uh, that I sat through and, uh, and enjoyed them. Yeah, there was a couple of low moments, um, but it's WCW. You're gonna you're gonna get those. You probably expect more. So the fact that I didn't get as much as expected. It's probably a blessing in disguise. So, yeah, look, all in all, I, I enjoyed it. A, a fantastic segment at the end. Um, way to end the uh, way to end the pay per view gets me excited for Nitro. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a solid seven. A bit low. Uh, I, I would say six and a half out of ten because I think I had enough problems with with what was going on, and you know, there was nothing great on this show as much as Dell might try and tell you Glacier and Mortis was that. There was, nothing, Actually, yeah. there was nothing great on this show. and Well, other than perhaps the last few minutes. But other than that, there's no great match on this show. The booking was okay, but the announcing was bad. The Yeah, it's a good show. Let's be clear, it's a good show. But I don't think it's a great show. I don't think it's like one, go out of your way to see this. And again, some of it's what I always say, the bar is higher now. Like, you know, this two years ago might have been show of the year. Could have been. Could have been, is the honest night. This could you know, this 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 might be better than any paper you in nineteen ninety five. But it's nineteen ninety seven now. The world has moved on. The world of world championship wrestling has moved on. And being good doesn't cut it anymore. And it means that it exposes things in a different way and yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think any match where Rey Mysterio got got boring chance. I don't think any show that contained that can be a can be considered a great show. So I'll give it six and a half. We open St. Patrick's Day with the closing scenes from last night with Rodman tagging Luger. Psychosis is back with a new black get-up to take on Rey Mysterio. Mysterio has now introduced a signal for his springboard Rana, which the fans get involved with, and it gets him the win. We hear from Double A who talks about his ongoing neck issues for the first time on air. A blast from the past as we get Max Muscle out to face Dallas Page. Tony shows us stills from his running with Savage from last night. 
Harry Deedy shouts and Page gets the diamond cutter win inside 90 seconds. Page has now added a rusty looking springboard splash and or elbow to his arsenal. Post-match, Page says Savage is the chalk outline in waiting for Macho answers him from the rafters. Diamond chases after him but Macho and Liz get away. Conan and Morris and Gomez and Renegade are ready to face off. Bischoff comes out and to announce the outsiders will fight tonight. The tag match starts. Morris gets his moonsault on Gomez. New Year's champ Dean Malenko makes his first defence against Scotty Riggs. No interference from Buff this time as Malenko retains. Luger and Giant take on the spectacularly named team of Knuckles, Nelson and Tarantula. Giant chokeslams, well, one of them. After the bell, they both rejoice in the homecoming of Sting. Tony gives us quick stills from last night's Sub-Zero vs Reptile match or Glacier vs Mortis for the ultimate, dra- ultimate Dragon gets a win over beautiful Bobby with a Hurricane Rana. The full NWR right and big up last night's results and the coronation of Rodman. The outsiders say they'll meet the Steiners at Spring Stampede next month. Hall gets blasted with a soda and carries it off as cool as, well, Scott Hall. Alex Wright still alive and teams with Mark Starr to face the Horseman. Jarrett getting the figure four on Star for the win. After the bell, the enemy arrive with trash cans and the four brawls to the back. The back end of the Horseman talk quickly to Mean Gene, usual dead air. Flash Norton quickly disposes of Chavo Jr. with a powerbomb. Nice spot in the middle with Chavo jumping over the top to the outside. Norton catching him then throwing back over into the ring. Making good on their promise, the outsiders take on Bunkhouse Buck and Mike Enos. The outside edge from Hall for the win. We see Piper's pre-match interview from last night before Benoit returns to Nitro. He submits Billy Kidman with a move. Tanae calls the cripple a crossface, which looks brutal. Post-match, Flair joins in to talk to Gene about Arn, Sullivan and Piper. Main event time, for some reason Michael Buffer's here and we get the Harlem Heat versus the Steiners. Decent back and forth, ending with another NWO running for a no contest. The locker room empties for a showdown as we go off the air. WCW stand tall before Sting drops in from the rafters and Hogan looks fearful. All right, a very happy St. Patty's Day to you, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. This is where they celebrate a lot of it right here, just like the Big Apple in St. Paul, Minnesota. Arn Anderson, usually you'd be out here with your colleagues, the rest of the four horsemen, but uh, that's not the case tonight. I, I don't think... Some of these people realize what's been going on in your life over the last 90 days. I happen to know you have been injured. I think the time is right for you. I don't know if there is a right time, but I think you must share this information with us at this hour. Well, before we go down one syllable, let me just say that last night was a very historic night in WCW history because last night was the night that Sting came home. Indeed he did. And uh, you and I, along with many others, happy to see that. I, for one, am real glad to see it. Now, that being said, yeah, my health has been bad. Gene, back around Halloween Havoc, I suffered a real bad neck injury. The fifth, sixth, and seventh vertebrae in my neck are going to have to go in, be taken out and fused. It's causing paralysis in my left hand. I've tried and tried and tried to put this thing off, but there's a reason I've been putting it off. About ten years ago... The woman that raised me was laying on the couch right there in Charlotte at my home, dying with cancer. And I said, why, Granny, are you putting yourself through all this pain? Why are you hanging on? She said, son, I asked the good Lord to wait long enough till I saw you as a mature, responsible adult and could be the head of your family. And I see that you are, 
Now I can go in peace. And she did. She laid down that night. I never talked to her again. Well, the horseman is my extended family. And I've been hanging on with all this disarray the horsemen have been going through until I could see that they could hold themselves together. And last night, along with Roddy Piper to a degree, they did work like a well-old machine. So the horsemen are alive and well. With Flair coming back, everything with the horsemen's fine. But there's one other bridge that I want to cross. You see, when you lay down on an operating table, you don't know if you're going to wake up or what you're going to be when you wake up. Last Saturday night, I saw Ben Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan's kid, who I've known since he was three years old, go out and basically tell his father that in his eyes, Kevin was dead. Well, Kevin, no parent should ever have to bury a child. It looks like the child buried you, but the fact is you're both just as dead to each other. So about nine months ago, Kevin, when I kicked you in the ribs in Baltimore, if I would have ever dreamed that you would have had to endure what you've had to endure personally, maybe I would have went about it another way. The fact is, I want, when I wake up after that operation, I want our slate clean. Now, this is not a sob story. I'm a horseman, and all great athletes go through trials and tribulations, and the great ones come back for it. So the fact of the matter is, I'm telling you and I'm telling the world, you haven't seen the last of Arn Anderson, I will be back. We open March the 24th with the hook of Savage and Page with quick highlights of their crowd chase from last week. We also get Larry the Axe Henning sitting at ringside. First up, Malenko and Conan have a very even contest, Malenko winning with the Cloverleaf to a ridiculous crowd pop. His attitude change really seems to be working. First match, Malenko calls out Benoit. Look, there's a match. Tony tells us the NWO's first title card is going to be played for Prince Iuka's TV title by the Macho Man. Mortis makes his Nitro debut with James Vanderberg. He trades martial arts kicks and power moves with Jerry Flynn. Mortis looks pretty impressive, winning with a flatline of Simone Brock from the second rope. The Parker's out looking like a Matador Undertaker to face Hoovy. No Mike Tanay, so Tony and Larry talk about how they haven't seen Scott Hall. LaParka started dancing mid-match, so the cons speculate on whether it's really him. Hoovy goes for a Hurricane Rana from the top, but gets caught and superbombed as LaParka wins. We see Bischoff on the Outsiders' history with Rick Steiner over the last few weeks. Gene talks with Rick and Scott, and they say they're ready for Spring Stampede. High Voltage take on the Public Enemy. Again, the crowd rampant from drama of Rocky. They get their table spot in, but as Rock's outside, Jarrett runs in, takes out Johnny, and High Voltage win. A somber giant builds up Luger with Gene. Luger then builds Sting. We close our number one with Psychosis beating Super Callow with a guillotine leg drop from the top. Hugh Morris faces Benoit with Moonsault versus Crossface, but before the win, the dungeon come out and beat up Benoit. Malenko tries to help, but they both get down before Flair gets the best of them. As the dungeon flee, Benoit and Malenko draw daggers at each other. Mangan Barbarian and Harlem Heat get the longest match of the night with Booker going over Barbarian. Gene welcomes Benoit and Flair. Benoit calls out Sullivan's yellow streak and says he respects Malenko. Flair tells Piper to man up. Medusa gets back to action by beating Malia Hasaka with a German. No sign of Luna. Lee Marshall phones in before we get a Jim Duggan beating Jim Powers with his tape fist punch complete with terrible blind-eyed referee spot. 
We get some bizarre WCW productions next. First, a video homage to Sting, highlighting the last few months set to sugary sweet commentary. Second, a promo for Spring Stampede with the horseman on horseback at a Reston ranch. Looks like next month's show will be rooting and indeed tooting. The French Canadians have the Steiners beat, but Jacques hits Carl and Rick gets the pin. The NWO sounds Scott Hall make their way out for Macho's TV title match. Nash gives a shout out to HBK on his way to the ring. Right back at you. Bischoff with a Rodman shirt on. IOK is out looking more of an underdog than ever. Doug Dillinger and his team patrol with the NWO as Savage stalls. He gets the Prince with an elbow drop but pulls him up at two. We then get Paige through the crowd. He takes on the NWO. Savage and we get a no contest while DDP gets demolished. They hold up Paige for Bischoff to hit a standing roundhouse side back leg kick and he gets tagged. And finally for the month, on March the 31st, we continue with WCW's now episodic approach as we see the close from last week's TV title match. Out the back, the NWO arrive again with no Hall, now no Bischoff or Hogan either, they're with Rodman somewhere else. Giant and Luger make quick work of Rick Fuller and Roadblock, but Stevie Ray and Booker attack them after the bell. Post-match, they belone their lack of respect and look forward to Spring Stampede. They get booed throughout and Stevie actually sounds quite good. Maiko Satamura faces Toshi Uzumatsu in a first round for the new women's cruiserweight title. Maybe we'll see brackets this time, although I wouldn't hold my breath. Umatsu wins with a top rope splash. Viano 4 loses out to Psychosis in a quite technical lucha match. Psychosis wins with a crazy looking corkscrew, spra- corkscrew splash from the top to the outside. Flair's out to a hero's welcome, but the bagpipes hit and the two bodies square off on the mic. Flair thanks Piper for dodging the Oscars and actually showing up. Piper asks if he wants the match, but they leave with a ring rat. This promo is bizarre, we'll discuss that in a minute. Prince Ayukea plays up his underdog gimmick, beating La Parker to retain. His challenger for Sunday then arrives to talk to Mean Gene. Regal runs down the crowd and calls Mysterio Dopey the Dwarf. Jericho comes out, we get a short match. Jericho upsetting Regal with a bridging roll up for getting suckered with a hard left. Yes, the fans are chatting USA throughout. Regal then hits a superplex and a pile driver laying in the Regal stretch. Today and Heenan join for hour number two and speculate about Hall, Hogan and Bischoff and a we see a pissed off Wall Street leave. Debbie Combs loses quickly to Akira Hokuto in what now seems to be known as the women's heavyweight division. Post-match, Gene talks briefly about Medusa and she and Hokuto go at it before the cruiserweight women come out to split them up. We get another Sting video, building him as Mr. WCW before seeing last week's enemy voltage finish. Jarrett and McMichael take on the amazing French-Canadians, Parker getting a hold of the briefcase to lay out Mongo, and Jacques and Carl win. Gene tries to get to the bottom of Jarrett and McMichael, Deborah gets them shot in at the enemy. Benoit and Morris get their rematch with Benoit winning with a German, but the Dungeon again come out to get Benoit before Flair makes the save. Gene talks them after the match, Benoit builds, Malenko, Benoit builds his Malenko match, thanks Arn, and Flair calls Benoit the human buzzsaw. Lance Ringo is the latest victim of the Diamond Cutter as DDP gets another win. Paige then talks to Gene about Savage and Liz. He says he and Kimberly are proud of her being listed in Playboy, but he's going to snap into Savage. Batcher again appears from the stands and wonder with all these diamonds, Paige has any few, few family jewels left at all. Main event, we get the Steiners beating high voltage. Scott hits a deadly looking modified pile driver. Nash and Six then take over the desk and he announces the state of the NWO address. 
meeting the hot rod in the house. Buddy Piper. Come here, hello. Thank you. Wait a second. Hang on. Just come over here for a second. You know, the Easter Bunny had to have ears like that. You've been fibbing again, haven't you, Pinocchio? Huh? Please? No, no, I have all the respect in the world for Ric Flair, and I want to put an end to a rumor. There's absolutely no truth that Ric Flair's girlfriend call his waterbed the Dead Sea. That is not true! Oh, oh my. I'm glad that that could be documented here tonight from a man who should know. Couldn't hear a word you said. I said I'm glad that you documented that from a man that should know. Oh, thank you very much. That's kind of you. Rick Blair, have you got anything to say about that? That's an accusation. Actually, before this escalates, I want to tell you that I'm glad you could drive your recreational vehicle off the mountain over to the airport and humble your Hollywood ass big enough to join us tonight. Now, gentlemen, I, I know, I know you could have been at the Oscars. But you came to Roanoke to be with the Nate And I'm damn glad to be here! <laughs> Wait a minute. You know what? Sometimes I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I always say what I think. And when it comes to you, I told everybody so long and so hard that you are the man that when you vanish every night, I go back to the bar, and it ain't easy, as an example, to tell Mongo you're the man when you can't be found. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just paint a page in history before you bite my head off. I deserve the chief shots. You're one of my best friends. But Roddy Piper, I'm going to tell you this. Your claim to fame will never be that you are the best wrestler alive. There's a hundred, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a hundred kids running around today calling themselves the greatest. But nary a one of those kids is calling the hot rod out when the sun goes down and the moon comes up. The host of the rising sun. Now, what I want to make sure of is that the man that put Mark Lewin to bed in 83, the man that laid the nasty boys to rest in 93, haven't seen him around lately, have you? The man who walks into a territory, changes the complexion of things, the man, wait a minute, the icon that put Hogan to sleep twice, I wouldn't get you mad at me. I don't want to go to sleep. I want to go out with you tonight because you are the fastest gun in the West. Quit checking your guns when you walk into WCW. Six cuts an apology in full for anything that might have been said in the past. 
I'll tell you something. I've known you for 20 years. I have fought you and fought you. I know every move you're going to make just like you know every move I'm going to make. You're 13 times world champion. Never been beat. So I got an idea. Because there's no more fun in sports today than having Flair and Piper having their way. Why don't we stand side by side instead of arguing and let's just take the whole nine yards on. I'll make you deal. I will stand side oh, stop. Stop the music. Stop the music. Stop the music. I will stand by your side forever if... Come here, darling. <laughs> What, well, what's going on here? Oh, I knew this was coming. I'm to tell you, when they heard you were coming to town, the girls lined up around the building. Honey, do you like the hot rod? I love it. Ooh, nah. Play the music. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back after a long deluge of TV reports. It's it, quite a quiet few weeks of TV, in all honesty. We'll pick out a few things and we'll we'll drop in the odd clip to uh, to, to contextualise what we're talking about. But a few a few I think key talking points to uh, to, to to wrap up this month's show. Um, Dal, we'll start with Piper and Flair. Um, that angle on the final show of the month made. I would argue almost as little sense as anything Piper has done this month. But it's just two legends and it just about works. I think they're, they're probably the only two people that could carry it off. I mean, it wasn't by the standards of what we've seen with Piper for the last couple of months. Flair, Flair just needs to come out and be Flair. I mean, we, we say it every month in the TVs where he just, he's, as much as he gets Scotty Riggs being a, a charisma vacuum, if, if Flair could somehow bottle whatever the hell he's got, I, I don't know how much he could make off it, but it, it just, there's something about the man, and when you put him in, some, in, put him in somewhere with somebody that he actually likes, and Piper, as much as Piper pretty much killed a show at the start of the month, it just shows what he can do when you put him in there with somebody like Flair. Is this, I mean, he was out to a hero's welcome. The, I mean, you can just tell it's just two pals. If they weren't in the middle of a wrestling ring talking, you can easily see them out in a golf course, or you can see them in a bar at three o'clock in the morning chatting up girls. You can it just comes through the TV, and it's it's something that you can't manufacture. And I think Roddy found that at these peril at the start of the month. But when you see two guys like this, you, you can't really go wrong, even if there isn't a story, which there kind of wasn't. They still they still nail it. Why? Yeah, like again, me, me and Della are uh, certainly on the same page tonight. But uh, but yeah, if if it wasn't for these two, this this would have fallen flat on its face definitely because uh, there was just nothing about it at all. But uh, the fact that you've got Piper coming out being Piper and Flo doing his usual Flo stick, you know, it, it worked. Um, you can always get behind something when uh, when, when obviously Flo's being. Uh, uh, being his usual self, and as soon as the music comes on and he steps foot out, is uh, you know the crowd are, are up on the feet, uh, fingers in the air, wooing, and 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 you know it's just it just makes for uh, for an exciting uh, couple of minutes that you're uh, that you're going to watch. But um, you know if you if you digest a little bit and and and, and pick the bones out, 
Um, there was just nothing to this promo at all. It was just two guys going in there. As Del said, you could tell that they're friends with each other, and, and that's all it was playing off. Me. It's up there with women or women, would you marry me now? It is. Uh, it's just, like it just. There's nothing to this. At one point, like they just start having a chat. Like at one point, like, all premise is like trying to get something over. Like Flair makes a comment, Oakland makes a start response. He asks Piper a question. Piper doesn't hear the question, so Oakland has to repeat it. It's just three geriatric old men just having a laugh in the middle of the ring, right? You know who cares when it gets over? The big playoff seems to be that they're going to put Piper and Flair in a tag team. I mean, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that's a brilliant use of either man, but then again, it will elevate the tag division and, and what. No, these two are so fu- It doesn't matter. Like, these two are so fucking good. You put them out there, like, you know, like, as I say, like, no, this, this is a really shit promo, but it was two guys that are just burning charisma. And providing Piper doesn't say, right, I'm going to wheel out four guys and have an open challenge, I think it just about works. So, yeah, really, really good. Anyway, move on to discuss perhaps probably the, the most, well, well, may not, but the potentially the most significant story um, of this, this chunk of the show. Um, we, we talk about potential main events for the show, uh, the pay-per-view uh, beginning next month. Um, if it wasn't or if it isn't going to be the, the Steiners um, outsiders match, if it isn't going to be the, 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 the somewhat bizarre Four Corners match, that I am told is, or told, I read, is going to be a four quarters match with not elimination, so first port pinfall wins. And it involves both members of Harlem Heat and Luger and Giant. And the winner will get a shot at Hulk Hogan. So all one of the Harlem Heat has got to do is lay down for the other one, and then they get a title shot, apparently. So that's what's that worth. But Wayne, the other option for the, the main event, and the one they may well go with, uh, is Randy Savage and Diamond Dallas Page. Um... And also, you know, a lot of that is Randy Savage, but it's it's significant that one of the big stories tucked away in like the live event reports this month was that the first house show match between Page and Savage, Page won cleanly. Um, and as I think one of the, it was, I think it was Dave Meltzer said, that's testimony in part to Savage's, you know, mindset. In that I don't know that Hulk Hogan would even accept a program with Darn Dallas Page at this stage, let alone lose the, the first match, house show or otherwise, cleanly. Um, although you might say that Hogan did accept a match with a, a debutante at the end of last year and he did lose the first match cleanly, although the debutante was Robbie Roddy Piper. Um, so there's that. Um, but Wayne, it's it's we, we talk about the guy down Dallas Page that we were watching in 1995, rooting around in random Saturday night segments with Eric Bischoff, with you know, on the golf course and you know him being poor and him trying to win his money. Don't ask Page is on the rise right now, and I think it's it's clear in the way they're framing him, but I think more crucially, Wayne, it's clear in the way that crowds are reacting to it. Yes, certainly. I think this is definitely something that DDP needed as well, because uh, um, you know coming off the, uh, it wasn't really a turn. You know, it's it's kind of moulded into this uh, crowd pleaser now, and uh, you know the the, the crowd are uh, um, you know have. Once they've, they've, they've turned him because it, that that was just the way that he was going. But um, everything that happened with with Hall and Nash and um, he, he started to go through guys like well he didn't really go through Scott Norton but he had the match with Scott Norton and, and he was having other um, 
you know, other, other matches with uh, some of the other NWO guys. But this is, so, you know, this is definitely something that is uh, is going to work for him because working with someone like Savage, you know, this guy's, uh, you know, been going around the block for some time now. And, uh, you know, if you're still, you know, feuding with the NWO, there's the credibility there. The fact that it's Randy Savage, there's even more credibility. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, he's, he's going to do, uh, he's going to do wonders for him in, in my eyes. And, and the fact that he's working with someone who's, um, you know, giving, you know, giving and taking at the same time. Hogan would just be a take, take, take. Well, like you just said, he probably wouldn't even be in a program with, uh, Diamond Dallas Page in the first place. The fact that Randy Savage is, and he's, he's willing to, uh, you know, Put that, uh, that diamond Dallas page over it in in, in some instances uh, is only going to work, work really well for him. So this is something I'm I'm really excited about. Dallas, I kind of said earlier, I, I I don't know that I needed Randy Savage in the NWO. I don't even know that I needed Randy Savage as a heel. But I've watched this program for three weeks and I need Randy Savage in a feud with Diamond Dallas Page. I think this is really yeah. good. Um, I I can't really disagree with any of that. Um, I think it's. If you look back at Savage, what late '93, after the kind of after Rod started once for byway, we made a ten and things like that. Savage was just floundering, and you could probably make the argument you didn't even really know if you needed a Savage in. Kind of this kind of level of programming, but it works, and you've never really seen. I mean, that kind of couple of weeks that he was kicking about with Sting. I've never seen Savage dressed as a man in black before, and it was different, and it was kind of cool. But then when you see him now, and like the the stuff with Liz, I mean, Liz has really blew my mind in the last kind of couple of weeks of TVs, and the kind of just seeing her with a bit of a character. I think Savage is really kind of coming on to stuff. I don't think it's quite at the level with the the transformation of Hogan. I don't think anything will be in the near future, but. Savage really plays his part pretty well in this, and if he's going to begin up against people at a page where you kind of need that, I mean, the the fact that I'm even doubting Savage is a testament to the the age of the guys that we've got on here, and I mean age purely from a TV standpoint, because Page is no, he's no spring chicken, but can I turn it around onto Page as well? The the biggest the biggest weakness that Dallas Page has got is his age. But he's actually turned it into quite a bit of a positive because who else is standing up to the NWO as, as well as, as Page has? And I think a big part of that is down to his age and his experience where he can mix with Jim guys. Duggan. Well, less we say about Hacksaw, the better. But um, I, I think Page just really turned his age into a, an experience factor where he can mix in with these older guys and not be kind of nobody backed off with that where a younger guy getting put into a programme with a Savage or a Hogan it's going to be a bit of a a kind of monkey on their back because I, I just don't see it kind of guys of that that calibre putting them over but if you're putting a page in there Page has got a couple of things that really stand out to me I mean obviously there's a diamond cutter but more than just the move itself you see it probably fair but Early February, I would say maybe late January, early February, he's got a signal for his finish, which not a lot of people do. And the last one that I can think of it really being over was when Jake did the Jake did the lasso going for the DDT, and ironically it's DDP 
who's now got something similar where he throws up that diamond and you see it in the crowd now. I think that's been a big turner for him. When the crowd got on board with him, it's hard to tell with some people when the crowd are on board with you, but Page does it in a way where they throw up the diamond, they've got the move, he's mixing with the right people, whether it's the kind of on-off, on-off with the outsiders, whether it's if he does actually be an event with Savage, he's got something going for him. And I don't think you can really deny it. As much as I think Booker is maybe the the standard of the heat, it's just too early. It's like, would you put Steve Austin in a WWF title match maybe for July last year? Not a chance. But, I mean, as we spoke about in part one, that, that match that he carried off with Brett, he's ready. And I think Paige is at a similar a similar bookmark in his in his career and whether it goes on to Savage or if they go with the four corners we don't quite know yet. But if if it is Page and, and Savage I for one don't have any qualms with that at all. No, um they've they've just done a good job. Like it's you know it's been coherent, you know, obviously we had the thing where Page kind of you know, teased the NWO but that made the the angle where he he, he ultimately turned against them work. And yeah, it's it, it's fairly simple. The, the the group that otherwise is steamrolling most of the roster, the guys that don't get steamrolled and stand out. And Paige is a guy that doesn't necessarily shirk a fight, but equally he you know he's the combination. He says the right things, he does the right things, he doesn't do idiot babyface as we saw last month where it looked like a three on one. He just fucked off, which makes sense. That's smart. And it's like, yeah, and he's likable. And he, you know, he's kind of got that, I don't want to call that Piper Edge. There's nothing really unique to Piper necessarily about just being honest. But Paige is quite a likable guy. And they've got a guy in Savage who the WCW crowd never really wanted to cheer Savage. I never got that feeling. They put him with Flair. Flair was the heel. But it's Ric Flair. And since then, like, like I would argue that the that program in 95 with Flair was the only relevant thing that Randy Savage has done since we started this podcast, I would argue. And this seems like it might be the second thing. And Randy Savage is a heel. You know, I don't even necessarily know that he needs to be in the NWO. I mean, it, it, it got him back with Liz, and it gives him a... It perhaps takes the sting off Sarge being cheered in some places, but I think Paige is over to the point where I don't think it matters. I mean, it ties itself into Paige's more general feud with the NWO, I suppose. And it also ties into what, what we kind of said last month, which is that Sarge is now with the rest of the ex-WWF guys, etc, etc. But it just works. Um, and Paige is really good. And yeah, it will. If, if those two main event the pay for you at the weekend, that will be a significant moment. As in a guy that WCW have made in a in a main event by right. And I don't think that paper is going to do particularly good buys, you know, three weeks after the previous one, two weeks after WrestleMania, without Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, etc, etc, etc. But still, it, it, it's progress. Um, uh, uh, and that's you know, the president has a State of the Union address every couple of months. It's time the NWO had a State of the Union address. The only difference is I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know what the hell's going on with the NWO right now. I'll tell you one thing. Kevin Nash and Six are here. And Scott Hall, people are wondering where Scott Hall is. Scott Hall's taking care of business. More important than professional wrestling right now. Now, while Bischoff, Hogan, 
DiBiase, Vincent are all up there at Rodman's little opening day movie shenanigans. Ooh, Rodman. We're here taking care of business. So you boys in Chicago, if you're watching, you better get focused. So I'll tell you something right now. I'm getting pissed off. I'm getting tired of sitting around having you guys take my time. I'll tell you right now, you don't want to get me mad because I'm one person in this business that can stand alone. Is this thing even working? I don't even know. WCW. Go figure. I'll tell you something right now. Steiner Brothers, big win tonight. Who cares? I'll tell you one thing. In Tupelo, Mississippi, Nash will be there. Whether Scott's there with me or not, it doesn't really matter. I'll be there. I'll take you on alone. And all you Napoleons back there, you know who I'm talking about. All you guys that can't get on the adult rides because you don't make that height requirement. The only reason you people breathe is because I allow it. Yeah, I'll smash that camera. I'll tell you right now. As long as I got breath in my lungs, I'll fight WCW by myself. And then, Wayne, we get this promo from Kevin Nash. Um, we had the angle on, on, on the Nitro kind of earlier in the show was basically, you know, Nash was there, but Hogan wasn't, Bischoff wasn't, DBRC wasn't, Hall wasn't. So it was like Nash and the, the NWOB team. And they kind of cut backstage, and you've got Nash, Wall Street, Vincent, and um, Scott Norton, and there's talks of division, and we see later in the show, VK Wall Street walks off. So kind of the first signs of cracks in the NWO, if you like. And then Nash comes out at the end. He kind of boots the guys of commentary. There's a, <laughs> the, 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 the visual of Nash and Six walk up to the commentary position. And Bobby Heenan making the world's worst beeline over the announce table away from, <laughs> away from the action as he slowly attempts to kind of climb over the announce position while his foot is tangled in, the, uh, in his headphone cable. is great. And then Nash cuts the promo that we've just heard. Um, Wayne, so, like, there's, there's a lot going on here. I think that's the only way I can put it. I'm not particularly sure what, um, but this was Nash, and I think there was some very genuine anger in this promo. Yeah, he's obviously jealous at the fact that he's having to hold the fort on TV while everybody else are uh, having a good time up in Chicago with Rodman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, but no, I mean, yeah. yeah, you could tell there was some there was some shoot element to uh, to what he was saying, but the angle itself were we're now talking about dissension between uh, between you know members of NWO and, and cracks starting to appear. Um, it's just come a bit out of the blue um, or a bit out of the black if we're talking about NWO, but uh, but. Yeah, it's 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 one of those where it's it's probably unnecessary at the moment. I think if there are cracks starting to appear, I think there's there's different ways of going about it. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's something that doesn't really add up at the moment. But uh, maybe it's uh, just to uh, explain why why members are uh, of certain people are, are not on television. Del, as much as it can be a pain in the arse when Nitro runs over. And the video cuts at the tours. This is one of the times that I just wished it maybe went five minutes longer. This because I think 
that wasn't that wasn't Vinny Vegas sat there. It wasn't Oz sat there. It wasn't Diesel. That was Kevin Nash, and Kevin Nash does pissed better than most people. And I think if you give him a live mic for a couple of minutes, fuck knows what would have come out. And you can tell that it's genuine. He's put up with a lot of shit in this new world order, where it's a, a Bubba Rogers coming in, a Wall Street coming in. But you kind of get the impression, I don't like this, but my buddy's here, so I'll put up with it. When he doesn't have Big Scott Hall, I think you're just going to get another side of Nash coming out where he just doesn't care. And I think that's a very, very interesting thing to see. And you could tell just looking at the eyes at the end of that, that final Nitro where it's that was somebody just pissed off with the situation. He's going to obviously be worried about his body if he's going into rehab or if he's having kind of marriage issues. He's not got his body at his, be- at his uh his best buddy at his side, and I think it's I think it's very interesting where that could go. As I say, I just wish it had went another couple of minutes because it would be very intriguing where it would go. Yeah, um, we we've seen before. We saw it in the WWF in the nineteen ninety five. Kevin Nash pissed off is very compelling. Um, I think there's going to be more to this going forward. I can't really work out what it was a, a four or five. Well, it was a couple of minute promo at the end of a show. At the end of a run of a, a few fairly flat nitros, if we're honest, um, but they teased a lot on that show as I went through earlier. Um, and if Hall's going away, or if Hall is you know, absent, then they're going to have to do something with that. There's stuff going on here. I'm not entirely sure what, but I think it's it, it, it stay tuned and find out more. I guess is the long story short. And we finish with the the, the biggest story of the month which is a company that had Rey Mysterio lose a match to Prince Ayuka on pay-per-view, is otherwise, we believe, still very, very interested in trying to get Mysterio over. We had the story last month of the three names that WCW are pushing forward in a lot of their promotional activity was Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and Rey Mysterio, which is interesting in itself. And then, Del, and you know, a very big thank you to Brian Barrera, a friend of the show, who's on it last month, for, who uh, runs WCW Worldwide, who managed to get a, a copy of, uh, or a kind of a, a blurb of this over to me in a couple of days. It was very much appreciated. WCW planted a story in the National Enquirer, which for those who don't know, as far as I'm aware, is basically a celebrity gossip magazine type thing, about Rey Mysterio and star of sitcom friends Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, Friends star Jennifer Aniston flips for Incredible Hunk, and then the kind of sort of caption in the in the in the photo, and she doesn't care. He's happily married. Mm. I, the, the legs This is this is the most bizarre thing I think you know in months that we've covered. Down. This is mental. <laughs> Um, but it works. But it worked. Like the idea was to get mysterious and publicity, and in that sense, it worked. It achieved its achieved its goal. Um, a couple of years ago, Bob, me and you spoke. Judkins was kind of looking at something else. We needed to expand the the crowd. I like the show. Have a lot of time for yourself. I'll come on board. I'm I'm into this. No one told me life was going to be this way. Um. I, I am more a monica. All right, man. all right. I am well, more a monica, man. I'm not going to lie. But um, 
as random stories go, this is this is one I watch. This this gets a coconut at any coconut stall, and it's it's just weird. Um, I mean, I always thought the most confusing thing about Ray Mysterio was his music. He comes out to this music that you'd expect a a Loch Ness or a giant or somebody of that out coming out to with this pure kind of deadening music and really tense and really kind of big monster heel coming out. And then you get Ray coming out at flip, <coughs> foot and change. But then you get him linked with Jen Aniston. And it's like, well, you've seen Jenny McCarthy coming out with... Jenny McCarthy and Pam Anderson coming out with Diesel and Shawn Michaels for WrestleMania 12. No, 11. 11. Um, you see that, that made sense. And then you see this, and it's like we spoke about kind of how odd a pair and Mysterio and Ikea was. This is this is just something else, man. It's like she's one of the most kind of famous folk in the world at this point with that haircut and all the rest of it. And it's just weird. It's, it's really, really weird. But it's, if they were getting out prizes for just coming up with a story that makes you kind of sit up and pay a bit of attention to WCW, the fairest of fucks to them. Why? Yeah, like... Again, like Del says, uh, it's it's all very, very weird. But uh, it's not as weird as you questioning if National Enquirer is a celebrity magazine. I thought you was a monthly subscriber. Well, apparently not. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, look, the, the you know, it's it's all it's all publicity. It's 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 doing a job, but you know, there's ways of going about it. I mean. Um, if if you want to get Mysterio over and, and, and get him over with your they're doing it to get more uh, eyes on, on the product. Um but maybe there's other other people that you could be doing that with. I think you could be using main event talent that is uh, that's got the eye of uh, Jennifer Aniston on them. But uh, if you want to do this to, to get Mysterio over, there's ways of doing it. And uh, if you know again, booking head on myself, the way of doing it is you have the storyline where you don't rip off the WWF uh, Rocky Maivia uh, story. You have um, Rey Mysterio as the ultimate underdog. Get the belt off uh, um, William Regal. You get him to have all these matches instead of Prince Ikea. And that's how you get the uh, Rey Mysterio to, to go over with, with the crowd that's uh, that's on there. But if it's to get eyes on the product, I think you could uh, be... Look, not a knock on Mysterio, he's great, but I think you could be using uh, other talent. Well, in the WWF story, the last time I checked, Sonny was interested in Rocky Maivia, so maybe the story should have been friend star Jennifer Aniston flips for the Incredible Hulk, Prince Iukea. True. Like, you know, if they could have, you know, let's, let's be honest, right? Pairing Jennifer Aniston with Prince Iukea would have been slightly less bizarre than the WWF plan of pairing Dennis Robin with Goldust. Let's, let's let's say that right. That wouldn't have yeah. been the weirdest idea of the month. Um, but yeah, I don't. This, <laughs> fuck those, right? But but still, right. The idea was I'm going to plant a fake story to get Ray Mysterio some publicity. Ultimately, job done. Just a very crazy thing to do and a very crazy way to end the show. A big thank you to Wayne Lithgow. Wayne, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Bob. Wayne, remind us where we can find you on Twitter. Yeah, it's Wayne L eight four. And Del, thank you very much, Mike. Always a pleasure, Bob. Nice to be on double duty last month. 
Yes, yes, you are. You were, well, most people have already heard you with us on the, on the WWF in volume number one. Not that we've taped it yet. Uh, Dale, remind us where people can find you on Twitter. Yep, Twitter, Dale underscore Muir, D-E-L underscore M-U-I-R. Excellent, excellent. Just a reminder that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like to support the show, or say thank you, or get access, well, and get access to our shows before they go and release to the general public, you can do so uh, by donating to our Patreon on patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Details are on our website, wrestling20rs.com, or in the podcast description below. Uh, everything's on the website. Two of the volumes for this month, volume number one, WWF, looking at WrestleMania, and volume number three, taking us to ECW on the final step before barely legal my name has been my name has been my name is bob bamber this has been the wrestling 20 years ago podcast of march of 1997 and until next time goodbye